0: The meeting will come to order. Welcome to the November 9th, 2022 Budget and Finance Committee meeting. I'm Hillary Ronan, chair of the committee. I'm joined by committee member, uh, Supervisor Chan, and will shortly be joined by Supervisor uh, Asha Safai. We're also joined today by Supervisor Raphael Mandelman. Thanks for coming. Our clerk is Brent Halipa, and I'd like to thank Jason Goldammer from SF... GovTV for broadcasting this meeting. Mr. Clerk, do you have any announcements? Yes,
1: Madam Chair. Just a friendly reminder for those in attendance in the chamber to please make sure to silence all cell phones and electronic devices. The Board of Supervisors and its committees are now convening hybrid meetings that allow in-person attendance and public comment while still providing remote access and public comment via telephone. The Board recognizes that equitable public access is essential and will be taking public comment as follows. First, public comment will be taken on each item on the agenda. Those attending in person will be allowed to speak first, and then we will take those who are waiting on the telephone line. For those uh, watching either channels, 26, 28, 78, or 99, and sfgovtv.org, the public comment call-in number is streaming across the screen. That number is 415-655-0001. Again, that's 415-655-0001. Enter the meeting ID of 2486 nine six seven three nine five one and press pound twice when connected you will hear the meeting discussions but you'll be muted and lis- and in listening mode only when your item of interest comes up and public comment is called those joining us in person should line up to speak and those on the telephone should dial star three to be added to the speaker line if you're on your telephone please remember to turn on your tv and all listening devices you may be using and each speaker will be allowed up to two minutes to speak unless otherwise stated uh, alternatively, you may submit public comment in writing in either of the following ways. Email them to myself, the Budget and Finance Committee Clerk at brent.jalipa at sfgov.org. Uh, If you submit public comment via email, it will be forwarded to the supervisors and also included as part of the official file. You may also send your written comments via U.S. Postal Service to our office and City Hall. That's one, Dr. Carlton B. Goodlett Place, Room 244, San Francisco, California, 94102. And finally, Madam Chair, items acted upon today are expected to appear on the Board of Supervisors' agenda of November 15th, unless otherwise stated. Madam Chair.
0: Thank you so much. Supervisor Mandelman, did you want to start this off?
1: Really? Um. Oh, Madam Chair, I should call that item.
0: I'm sorry. Mr. Clerk, can you please call (laughs) item number
1: one? Yes, Madam Chair. Item number one is an ordinance amending the Business and Tax Regulations Code to suspend the imposition. Of the cannabis business tax through December 31st, 2025, uh, members of the public are joining us remotely and wish to comment. Uh, again, call 415-655-0001. The meeting ID is 24869673951. Then press pound twice. Uh, press star three to enter the speaker line. Promptly, indicate you have raised your hand, and when the system indicates you have been unmuted, that will be your signal to begin your comments, Madam Chair.
0: Thank you. Now, Supervisor Mandelman.
2: Thank you. Uh, thank you, Chair Ronan. Um, Uh, and uh, Supervisor Chan for uh, taking the time to hear this item. I am here to request your support for an ordinance delaying the effective date of San Francisco's local cannabis business tax through December 31st, 2025. San Francisco has often led the way when it comes to cannabis, and this is a critical moment for the legal cannabis industry. A recent analysis conducted by the controller shows that while overall sales remain stagnant, the legal cannabis industry faces significant challenges including unique cost pressures, a persistent illicit market, extreme price volatility, and a high overall tax burden. We are currently facing an existential issue for the legalization project. The cannabis market is not where I think any of us would want it to be. It has a dominant illicit side offering similar products at much lower prices and a smaller and struggling legal market saddled with various local, state, and federal regulatory and tax burdens. So the question, I think, is Should we allow the unregulated market to thrive as we add new taxes to the legal market, or should we prioritize helping the legal market compete to end illegal illegal cannabis cultivation and sales? Um, The profile of cannabis retail outlets in San Francisco has remained fairly stable since 2017 at about 70 operators. The fact that cannabis is a Schedule I controlled substance means businesses cannot deduct ordinary expenses many of the industry's costs and liabilities are a result of this federal classification. This also means cannabis businesses can't access conventional banking, the conventional banking system, imposing significant security risks and higher operating costs to secure cash and goods at retail spots. Um, overproduction is a major problem for cultivators and manufacturers who make up the foundation of the industry. Growers expected more customers during stay-at-home orders during during COVID, which led to a flood of products with wholesale prices per pound dropping from $1,200 to $700 in 2021. This also increased retail competition, with price cuts forcing businesses to sell more to make the same amount. But again, the largest problem is a thriving illegal market that overshadows the legal one, estimated to be up to two-thirds of the total market in San Francisco. These operators pay nothing in taxes, they don't apply for business permits, they don't subject their cannabis to the rigorous quality control that legal operators are subject to, and this means they can sell products for far cheaper than legal operators. I believe the long-term sales and gross tax revenue that, we will, that will come from ensuring that all operators are above board will ultimately outweigh any short-term gains from squeezing the small share of the market that's opting to absorb the significant costs of operating legally for an extra tax. While legalization may have been pitched as an opportunity to generate new tax revenue, and it is, it is also important to point out that it was born of the recognition that the war on drugs had failed and that we needed to stop trying to enforce our way um, out of this. If we believe that, we have to take every opportunity possible to give the legal industry a competitive advantage, or in this case, mitigate their overwhelming disadvantage. The controller's report recommended aligning our local tax policy with future state tax actions. This field is evolving at both the federal level and the state level, and I'm hopeful that the federal tax code will at some point treat cannabis businesses the same as other kinds of businesses. And so um, I think it makes sense with the state planning to review its retail excise tax uh, in 2025 to push off our consideration of a local tax to that point as well. Um, I want to thank Ben Rosenfield and his team for their work on the controllers analysis. I want to thank the BLA for their um, analysis as well. Cannabis Retailers Alliance um, and uh, Jackie Thornhill in my office um, who's worked on this ordinance and um, I think that's what I got.
0: Thank you and we have a report from the BLA.
3: Uh, Nick Menard from the Budget Legislative Analyst Office. So item one is an ordinance that would delay the imposition of the cannabis tax through 2025, which means that the first year that revenues would be recognized is fiscal year 26-27. Um, looking at the current budget and the five-year projection uh, of the city's financial resources, over that time, the loss of general fund revenue resulting from this ordinance would be $30.75 million, and we consider approval to be a policy matter.
0: Thank you. Um, Supervisor Mandelman, I I don't know that you'll be able to answer these questions, but just a few of them. Um, What is the city doing to enforce the law about needing permits, etc.? Do you know?
2: Wondering, I'm hoping that we have someone from the Office of Cannabis here. Do we have anyone from the Office of Cannabis here?
0: think we would.
2: That would be a good one to have. <laughs> um, we might if we have public comment we might see if we can run someone down.
0: Okay sounds good and then uh, okay let's let's open public comment and then I'll make some comments and ask some questions after that. Can we open this item up for public comment?
1: Oh. Yes Madam Chair members of the public wish to speak on this item and are joining us in person should item now to speak. Uh, for those listening remotely please call 415 Six five five zero 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 one. Enter the meeting ID of two four eight six nine six seven three nine five one. Then press pound twice. Once connected, press star three to enter the speaker line. For those already in the queue, please continue to wait until the system indicates you have been unmuted. And as your signal to begin your comments, seeing no in-person speakers here in the chamber, Mr. Lamb, kindly unmute your first caller.
4: Hi, uh, my name is Jakari, and I'm the CEO and equity advocate of the California Street Cannabis Company. And as a small business owner and operator here in San Francisco, I ask that you please delay the San Francisco Cannabis Gross Receipts Tax Legislation until 2025. Uh, Legal cannabis businesses are already being squeezed for every penny by the state and federal government through overtaxation. And the overall cannabis industry is currently in a recession, and another
1: tax is the last thing that we need. Thank you. Thank you so much for your comments, Mr. Lamb. Next speaker, please.
4: Greetings, supervisors. Uh, this is Johnny Delaplane calling on behalf of the San Francisco Cannabis Retailers Alliance. We're a trade organization composed of legacy medical cannabis retailers and social equity cannabis retailers. Um, big, big thank you to Supervisor Mandelman and Jackie for for moving this important legislation along. Um, Right now, the California cannabis market is an absolute free fall. You know, you can buy an unregulated ton of cannabis for $100, you know, unregulated. Um, That puts us retailers that are following the laws at a significant disadvantage. So we need tax relief in order for our businesses to survive. You know, each dispensary that's open in San Francisco is generating, you know, well-paying jobs, right? If we tax this industry before it stabilizes, those jobs very likely will disappear as well. So we're here once again, another year, hat in hand, asking, please, please defer this tax until 2025. And thank you to everyone for their attention and for helping our pledging industry kind of make it through what is the lo- largest California cannabis recession that, that I've seen in my, uh, got over 20 years in this industry.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Johnny Del for your comments. And Madam Chair, that completes our telephonic queue. Madam Chair.
0: Thank you. Public comment is now closed. That's what happens when the vice chair comes and distracts me. Um, is there anybody on the line from the Office of Cannabis? No.
2: I don't think we've run. We've run somebody, someone down.
0: Okay. Let me turn it over to Supervisor Chan.
5: Thank you, Chair Ronan. And I think my question is that I I have to admit that uh, I am in support of support, like I am supportive of cannabis business, and I think that there are challenges that they face uh, locally. Um, And I think that is actually probably a question that I do have for the Office of Cannabis, and I hope that they could answer. But I think that in your uh, remarks, opening remarks, Supervisor uh, Mandelman, through the Chair, that you have mentioned the state. Uh, tax, and I believe that the state tax is also part of the burden truly actually they are the really the main burden in terms of taxation and I think that from what I understand from the office of cannabis is that the governor Governor Gavin Newsom has been considering like how can we alleviate some of these uh, tax paying for the industry. That's because there are taxing cultivation tax, and then they're also taxed again with the sales tax. And so um, as it turns out, it becomes a cumulative of about 30% of their total revenue um, to that actually goes toward tax. And then we have the local tax. Um, from what I understand is that uh, that they've been having this conversation. In fact, I believe uh, Nicole Elliott is there now our state from from San Francisco's office of cannabis now is the state director f- for the state department of cannabis and trying to figure out some of these challenges and issues. So I am sympathetic to the industry and, and and it's been really painful not just the pandemic but I I also think it's the whole industry itself. How do we balance the black market and with with those actually do right by the by by the people who support it and pass recreational can you know cannabis for the entire state I do though I have to say like i am I have reservation given the fact that it is a policy matter that's up to the board that to to have a um to have this all the way to 2026 the fiscal year of 2025, 2026, which then now is a total revenue loss of 30.75 million. It's a little bit hard for me to support at this time. I I wonder if there's a consideration, the possibility that we, we do that year by year for a couple of reasons. One is to see the progress that the state can make um, and also um, what the economy would look like, and can there actually be a year-to-year projection from the controller's office to help us make better decision year-to-year, fiscal-to-fiscal year, year, instead of all next three lump sum together. So that's just really my questions, and, well, kind of question and thought, whether there could be a consideration for that, and and can we really justify 30-something million at once for for tax exemption.
0: Did you want to respond to that, Supervisor Mendelman?
5: <laughs> yeah,
2: um, I mean, I think the thinking on on doing this for more than we have been doing this sort of year by year, and this sort of this sort of rush at the end of each year to sort of extend extend it out. Um, be, I think the reason the the controller's report suggested aligning whatever we do with with this sort of s- state um, kind of timing of having them sort of, they've sort of uh, provided their relief through 2025 and they're gonna take their, their next look at this in 2025. So it seemed to me that it made sense and um, to, rather than having us doing this every single year and have sort of having the same conversation, because i I mean, we always, we could revisit it early if there is some change and we're also, you know, depending on what the budgets look like, but I do feel like this is probably not the right place to be trying. I mean, just right now, not the right place to be trying to look for extra money um, for our budget. And I mean, thirty million is not nothing, but it's also over a three-year. You know, it's basically ten million dollars a year. It's um, you know, it's 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 not which which we which we don't have, but it's a new it's a new um, it's a new tax that we're that we're that we're turning on. So um, so. Uh, yeah, I guess those, those would be my responses, my, my thoughts there.
0: Supervisor Safai.
2: Thank
6: you. I, I mean, I think one of the things that I appreciate this piece of legislation right now, this is, it, we spent so much time, Supervisor Ronan, Mendelman later came in, um, spent so much time on trying to get the regulations and the permitting and the processing correct for this industry, and this is a very specific industry because of their taxation structure, because of their lending structure, because of their ability to operate in this environment. I mean, you talk to small business operators of this industry, they will tell you the amount of money that they end up ultimately having to pay in taxes that they do are required to pay the state of California is pretty astronomical um, and it's all done in cash and it's, it's it's they have some banks that will work with them, but it's still a very new and growing industry and so Under normal circumstances, I'm really not about foregoing any loss in revenue, particularly in hard times, but this is not revenue that we're currently collecting. It's not something that really is feeding the city right now. It's something that's projected to help. But I will tell you, talking to a lot of the operators, they are in danger of actually even going out of business and surviving because of the competition of the illicit market. We thought as more became mainstream and it was legalized, that you'd have less of an illicit market, but as Supervisor Mendelman said in his opening remarks, that the illicit market is still significant enough that it undermines uh, this industry dramatically. And so for all of those reasons, I'm, I'm for, and I will tell you, we just we, we end up doing this every year. I mean, this ends up being a, a yearly, like let's have this conversation. I hear, I hear what you're saying, Supervisor Chan, um, about coming back, but I think for this industry right now, the revenue that we're not getting, I'm, I'm fine with giving them that support. Allow them to survive uh, this tough economy that they're in right now.
5: Thank you. Supervisor Chen? Thank you, Chair Ronan. So, I, I mean, I think if we're going to vote as it is today, um, I will not be in, in support of it. Um, I have uh, in the last two years you know, being on the board supported the the exemption uh, year by year basis um, because I think that it allows us to have a, a understanding of where we are at collectively, uh, budget as a whole. Um, yes, out of the $14 billion is not a lot, looking at just a $10 million per year. Um, I, I just think that it, the next two fiscal years are gonna be rather tough it's not just for the cannabis industry, but for every, every things that we actually have to provide some type of support and possibly reduction. So I'm not going to be in the space um, to do a three years in a row tax reduction for a cannabis industry. I mean, I, yeah, I, I know that we don't know exactly how much it would generate uh, because it's a new tax that we have never really collected. It was supposed to be implemented in 2018 or 2019 and then because the pandemic is now like delayed already, we have never collected. We have done the same thing for commercial vacancy tax that we paused even after voters approval to collect it but we now resume for commercial vacancy tax um, I, I'm just not in the space to to do a three years in a row of tax exemption for cannabis industry at the moment.
0: Thank you, and I just want to um, announce that Nikesh Patel and Ray Law have logged in, and, and uh, if you could join us, I have a, a, a few questions. <laughs>
7: Hello, supervisors. We apologize for joining a little bit delayed, but we're happy to be here and happy to answer any questions. Thanks for having us.
0: Thank you. Um, so Supervisor Mandelbrot was explaining that um, there's estimates that two third of the cannabis market is sort of underground and and, and not regulated. Um, how do how do you get those those estimates? Is 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 that correct in your in your understanding?
7: You raise a really good question and I think what you're you're suggesting is that it's difficult to capture just exactly what the size of the illicit market looks like that is accurate but from our initial indications just based on the complaints that we receive the the variety of types of illicit operations that we're also hearing about that the in, that 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 sector of the industry the illicit sector is still sizable and it does require a lot of our attention and resources. So I'm joined here by Ray Law, the senior deputy director of the office. He oversees enforcement, and I'm happy to let him speak a little bit about some of the the larger illicit operations that we've had to respond to as of late. What I can say is that when you look at the number of complaints that we've received in just this past year, it has intensified, we are more responsive, the number of complaints that we've closed has increased, but that's also because the number of complaints that we've received has increased. So I'll let Ray share a little bit, but it's fair to say that that size is still, the size of that industry is still large and that it does require a lot of our attention and the the variety of operations, the illicit operations, they really do vary from large scale illicit grows to illegal vending, to the ongoing delivery that's coming into the city that's in violation of local laws. So short answer is it's sizable. I'll let Ray speak to some of the specifics. Sure. Thank you,
8: um, thank you Nikesh. Um, yeah, so uh, what Director Patel um, just mentioned aligns with uh, my understanding of the state of affairs for our industry, but also for the illicit market um, in San Francisco and also, in the state of California, and I, I, I believe um, the figure um, supervisor you just mentioned is a state kind of survey of the state of affairs in the state of California, where um, the legal industry, the legal operators, are impacted by the illicit activities still happening in um, the state of California. So, in San Francisco, to our Director Atal's point, uh, we have received. Um, I would say there's an uptick of uh, the complaints associated with illegal um, cannabis activities in the city. I would say part of the reason is um, right now, people are more aware of um, the uh, legal cannabis operations, so that's why they are able to kind of uh, differentiate between uh, the legal and illicit uh, operators. Um, and I think the type of activities are ranging from like cultivation, manufacturing, um, distribution, and delivery uh, of uh, cannabis products are also a big part of that. And our office has devoted increased resources to kind of tackle those issues as well.
0: And can you explain what type of enforcement your office does to address the illicit market?
8: Sure. So uh, we... uh, conduct um, drive-by inspections if we receive any uh, complaints about a specific location and we also coordinate with our city partners depending on the nature of the complaint Uh, for example if that's a warehouse um, typically we will um, coordinate with the city attorney's office and then involve different city partners because with uh, illicit operations, especially for cultivation, that also involves violation of other city codes. So that's when we will kind of coordinate with our city partners like DBI, uh, health department, PUC to address uh, different aspects of uh, the violations.
0: Okay, thank you. Um, I I struggled with this <laughs> a little bit as well. Um, uh, because, you know, I, I, I believe in legalization of cannabis, not just cannabis, but more drugs uh, so that they're regulated and their safety is insured, et cetera. Um, I do think that uh, while the illicit market is substantial, that there's a lot of specialty products that, you know, uh, I think are mostly... Um, bought through, through the regulated legal, legal stores. Um, and it was an industry that didn't suffer in the same way that others did during the pandemic. Having said that, uh, I think that supervisor Mandelman has made a, a a really good case. Um, I, you know, the, the, uh, amount of taxes at the at the state level are substantial and then all of the benefits uh, to small businesses that exist uh, normally with, you know, uh, banking and tax write-offs are, you know, are completely denied to this industry, uh, which to me is very nonsensical and hopefully will change uh, shortly. And, and I believe it will because, uh, you know, this... This trend of legalizing cannabis is, is is spreading throughout the nation and and, and even uh, making uh, inroads at, at federal levels. Uh, I I now understand why you picked the 2025-26 um, uh, year to correspond with the state. That makes sense. I do think that uh, you know if it happens sooner, we could go back and change the law. So I am uh, inclined to support this today. Uh, I, think, I think you've made the case, Supervisor Mandelman. Um, although I do understand Supervisor Jan's uh, you, you know, uh, skepticism and I certainly started off with that skepticism as well. So uh, this is one where I think reasonable minds uh, can disagree on both sides. So with that, I'm happy to make the motion to send this item to the full board with positive recommendation and if we can have a roll call vote on that motion.
1: On that motion to forward this ordinance to the full board with a positive recommendation, Vice Chair Safai. Aye. Safai, aye. Member Chan. Chan, no. Chair Ronan.
3: Aye.
1: Ronan, aye. Uh, we have two ayes with one no with Member Chan in the dissent.
0: That motion passes with uh, two ayes. Yes. <laughs> I've never done that before. We're usually in, in, in unanimous in this committee. Um, thank you so much. Mr. Clerk, can you please read item number two?
1: Yes, item number two is a resolution approving and authorizing the director of property and the executive director of the Department of Homelessness and Supportive Housing to enter into a lease and property management agreement with the Tide Center, as fiscal sponsor for delivering innovation in supportive housing as tenant, to authorize the tenant to lease, operate, and maintain the real property and residential improvements located at 1321 Mission Street for an initial five-year term to commence upon approval of this resolution and an option to extend for up to additional five years with a base rent of $1 per year with no annual rent increases and for net property management and operating costs to be paid by the City in an amount not to exceed uh, $19.5 million, determining that the below-market rent payable under the agreement will serve a public purpose by providing permanent uh, supportive housing for low-income uh, households in need in accordance with the administrative code adopting findings declaring that the property is exempt surplus land under the california surplus lands act affirming the planning department's determination under sequa Adopting the plan department's finding of consistency with the journal plan and the eight priority policies of the planning code and authorizing the director of property and the executive director of the department of homelessness and supportive housing to execute the agreement, make certain modifications and take certain actions in furtherance of the agreement and this resolution. Members of the public who are joining us remotely and wish to comment, please call. 415-655-0001. Enter the meeting ID of two four eight six nine six seven three nine five one and press pound twice. Once connected, press star 3 to enter the speaker line. Hey, system prompt will indicate that you have raised your hand, and when the system indicates you have been unmuted, that is your cue to begin your comments. Madam Chair.
0: Thank you, and Emily Cohen is here from the Department of Homelessness and Supportive Housing.
9: Thank you. Good afternoon, Chair Ronan, Supervisors. I'm Emily Cohen with the Department of Homelessness and Supportive Housing. I am here before you today with a resolution to authorize HSH and the uh, Director of Property to enter into a lease and property and management agreement with the selected nonprofit service provider at the recently acquired 1321 Mission Street, which we will now call the Margo. Very excited about that, and want to appreciate Supervisor Dorsey for his co-sponsorship and support of this legislation. The Margot is a newly acquired building in the Soma District that includes 120 studio units for adults leaving homelessness and 40 multi-bedroom units for families leaving homelessness. The property, each unit has private bathrooms and kitchens and is relatively new construction. It's it's quite a lovely building. Um, The nonprofit providers for this property were selected through a competitive solicitation of interest, solicitation 134.1, and DISH, delivering innovation in supportive housing through their fiscal sponsor, TIDES, have been awarded the property management contract. And UCSF citywide case management will be providing the on-site support services for adults and compass family services will be providing the on-site support services for the families at the property the Board of Supervisors approved the city to acquire this property last fall and we applied for and received 54.8 million dollars in home key resources to support the acquisition and operations of the property. The resolution before you today, as has been stated, authorizes the director of property and HSH to enter into an agreement with TIDES or DISH under the Fiscal Agency of TIDES to lease, operate, and maintain the property. The agreement is for a term of five years with with a five-year extension. The rent is one dollar per year. And the total not to exceed amount for the property management services is 19.5 million under this contract dish will be providing ongoing management, maintenance and operations of the PSH at the Margot in accordance with our housing first approach. I'm joined here today by Deputy Director Gigi Whitley, um, Deputy Director of Real Estate, Claudia Gorham, Dan Adams is online, uh, and Lauren Hall from Dish is here as well. So and we brought in, out everybody to help answer any questions that you might have. Thank you.
0: Before we take questions, we'll hear from the BLA.
3: Thank you. Uh, item two is a resolution that approves the lease and property management agreement between the Department of um, Homelessness and the Tide Center delivering and delivering innovation and in supportive housing uh, for property management at a city owned property at 1321 Mission Street. This is a 160 unit building for that will be used as permanent supportive housing. Um, and as was mentioned, the board has approved the, the purchase of this building as well as um, acceptance of a ho- state home key grant award to offset the cost of the purchase and subsidize operations for the first um, five years. At the site, so this agreement would provide, um, pro- like I said, property management services at this site. There is a five-year term with an optional five-year extension. The resolution's not to exceed amount is based on on that initial five-year term, which we showed the budget for the nineteen and a half million dollars and the not to exceed amount on page eight of our report. And you can see that the cost of the agreement is funded by a combination of uh, project home key funds. Um, homeless gross receipt tax, and then a small portion of tenant income, and the budget also includes a $2.2 million uh, project reserve. Uh, we note in our report that, you know, the per unit cost of this agreement is about $6,000 higher um, than was originally estimated by the department at the time of the acquisition, and that's largely due to the fact that this is a city-owned property. Um, and so requires additional kind of non-personnel expenses, such as insurance, <laughs> security, uh, legal services um, be, that kind of are connected to the fact that the city owns this property. Uh, we did kind of evaluate the agreement and we do
6: recommend approval.
0: Thank you. Supervisor Safai. Great.
6: I just have one question. Um, I think this is great. I, I was I was not aware originally that Project Home Key actually does operating expenses. So that's, that's good to know. My question is, is that 6.9 million in Home Key grant funding, is that one year, or is that ongoing funding? And then after that, how is that money going to be replaced? And then the second question is, um, is, there's obviously different categories for Prop C. There's operating expense dollars, accounts that you're pulling from, correct? And that's also an ongoing source which may be diminishing in future years given our current uh, gross receipts, taxes, but at least that's a somewhat consistent. So I just wanted to ask the question about the home key dollars and if that one year or how, how much can we anticipate that?
10: Good afternoon Gigi whitley department of um, homelessness and supportive housing um, thank you for the question through the chair um, as you'll see in the bla report the um, state home key money is a little over six million dollars supervisor that is a one-time allocation that can be spent over the five-year budget we have a deadline for spending down those funds mm. um, and then as part of the home key Um, Grant the city has to make a commitment to maintain operating for a total of five years. As you see in the fourth year of the budget, um, the Prop C housing money will kick in. Mm -hmm. Um, That's a combination of funding um, that is allocated to support family uh, units as well as adult units as this is a mixed population building. Um, So, you know, uh, we're grateful for the state that uh, not only do we have the, resources to help offset the cost of the acquisition, but also some one-time operating subsidies.
6: Great, yeah, I see that after year three, it goes away, and then you pick it back up with Prop C. So thank you. I'd like to be added as a co-sponsor of this, please. Thank you, Madam Chair.
0: Thank you. Um, Gigi, I had one, or, or maybe this is for Emily, actually. Have you ever um, had a supportive housing unit that includes both single
9: adults and families? Uh, thank you, Chair Brennan, for the, for the question. We have one other property that is a combination. I believe it's just one other that is veterans and families. So it's not a widely used model, um, but it is something we're trying out in buildings that have sort of the unique makeup, room makeup that the Margo has. I see, so the
0: family units have multiple bedrooms. Yes, so the three-bedroom
9: units. Okay. And
0: That's, how, those are
6: the Edley apartments, correct?
0: Yes, exactly. And, and, how, and how does it work? I mean, how, how, how is it going at that one building?
9: You know, I can ask Lauren um, perhaps to come up and share her experience sure. on the ground. Um, having, you know, because this is a relatively new model for us, having two separate service providers that have expertise in serving that population is important, but I do think there's some adjustment um, for folks living in the building, for families in particular, but I'll let Lauren, if that's okay with you. I would um, love that, yes.
11: Mm-hmm.
12: Good afternoon, thanks for the question. Um, you know, I would say it, it's, it's going great. We have an incredible service team. We have the folks from UCSF, as, uh, as Emily noted, that are focused on the single adults. We're in the process of moving in all of the families. Um, the, the, the change from us being an operator to holding the master lease has had some impact on the ability to fill units quickly. So as the families move in, I think we're really learning as an organization um, how to integrate everyone into the community, but I can say uh, it's been an incredible partnership, and I think Compass brings such a wealth of expertise of working with families. And we're sort of seeing also some kind of um, not traditional families that are able to actually have multi-unit, uh, can come in as couples, can come in, and to, so that we can be a little bit more flexible than we are typically in single adult housing. Some people are coming and they're able to reunify with kids that are in custody, which has been amazing. One of the things that we're really working on is how do we do things like overdose prevention and harm reduction work in a family environment. So I will say that those are parts where we're, we're really excited to work closely with uh, the Harm Reduction Coalition and our sort of the experience that we have with single adults to make sure it's a safe environment. But I feel like that the way this building operates in terms of safety, like you can't enter the floor that you. Um, only, you can only enter the floor that you live on with the way the elevator works, so it's so modern that there's ways to keep the property safer than maybe in a typical SRO environment or an older building, so I'm really excited to see how it's going. Um, we haven't filled all the family units yet, but again, the service the service team and the DISH team are working really well together and are just like really excited to have this be a model for how to actually integrate communities, to have families, to have single adults, to be able to see you know, elders that are living on their own be able to have children in the buildings where they live. You know, one of the challenges, I think, with this building could be that it wasn't designed for traditional families. It was designed as more of a kind of young adult housing, I think, when it was built by the panoramic folks. But we're really trying to, we've created a kind of, uh, you know, Multi-purpose room that's really focused on providing services for the kids. So I think we're trying to take every advantage that we can with the building to make it work best for families. Um, so I'm really, I'm really optimistic about it. Uh, we'll know more as the months go, but so far so good. Okay, sounds good. I'm, I'm, I'm curious
0: to continue to, to learn with you on, on how this works, works out. But sounds Absolutely. good for now. Thank you. Um, I would also like to be added as a co-sponsor and love that it's called the Margo. Thank you for, for to everyone who made that happen. Um, and if we can open up this item for public comment please.
1: Yes Chair Ronan and members of the public who wish to speak on this item and are joining us in person should line up now to speak. For those listening remotely please call 415-655-0001. Enter the meeting ID of 2486-967-3951 press pound twice. Uh, Press star 3 to enter the speaker line, and for those already in the queue, please continue to wait until the system indicates you have been unmuted and as your signal to begin your comments. Ms. Hall.
12: Hello again. Lauren Hall, Delivering Innovation Supportive Housing. I did just want to offer that um, this is an incredible Opportunity, I think, uh, for the organization that I run to actually work in an environment where it's a new building, it's a beautiful building, we can gain experience as a master leaseholder and really learn how to use some of these more modern systems. And it really is building our capacity to do more and to do more with the city. And so I just, I really am excited about this opportunity. I just couldn't resist sharing that with all of you, because again, you don't always see those sides of this, but it's a big boon for our organization. Our maintenance workers are gaining incredible skills on how to work with newer systems. Most of our buildings are over 100 years old. This one, I think, was built about five years ago, so it's really exciting for us to build our capacity, and I think also, like we were talking about with the mix of families and single adults, we really have an opportunity here to do supportive housing really well. We have kitchens, we have bathrooms, we have an incredible service team, and I think we're gonna be able to contribute a lot to kind of our work going forward as a city on how to do supportive housing right. So, thank you, I'm really looking forward to your support.
1: Thank you, thank you Lauren Hall for your comments. Seeing no further speakers here in the chamber. Madam Chair, we have no callers in the queue.
0: Public comment is now closed. I'd like to make a motion to send this item to the full board with positive recommendation.
1: On that motion to forward this resolution to the full board with a positive recommendation, Vice Chair Safai. Aye. Safai, aye. Member Chan. Chan, aye. Chair Ronan. Aye. Ronan, aye. We have three ayes.
0: That motion passes unanimously. Thank you. Mr. Clerk, can you please read item number
1: three? Yes, item number three is a resolution approving and authorizing the general manager of the San Francisco Public Utilities Commission and or the director of property on behalf of the city and county to sell fee and easement interests uh, in certain real property located (laughs) along State Road 84 (laughs) in the city of Fremont in the incorporated Alameda County uh, to the state of California acting through its California Department of Transportation or Caltrans approving and authorizing an agreement of sale of real estate temporary construction easement and utility easement for the sale of the property to Caltrans authorizing the uh, PUC general manager and or the director of property to execute the sale agreement make certain modifications or take certain actions in furtherance of the resolution and the sale agreement Adopting findings declaring that the real property is surplus land and ex- exempt surplus land pursuant to the California Surplus Land Act, determining the competitive bid process for the conveyance of the property is impractical and not in the public interest in accordance with the Administrative Code. Adopting responsible agency findings under CEQA. Adopting the Planning Department's findings that the sale agreement and transaction contemplated therein is consistent with the general plan and the eight priority policies of the Planning Code. Members of the public who are joining us remotely and wish to comment Please call 415-655-0001, the meeting ID is two four eight six nine six seven three nine five one, and press pound twice. Uh, press star three to enter speaker line. A prompt will indicate that you have raised your hand and when the system indicates you have been unmuted as your signal to begin your comments. Madam Chair.
0: Thank you. And Anthony Bardo from SFPUC, I believe, may be on the line to present.
13: Uh, yes, I am. Good afternoon, Madam Chair, Supervisors. I'm having difficulty sharing my screen, so I'm going to ask that my colleague Jeremy um, do the, screen, uh, the uh, PowerPoint presentation. My, my own, there we go. Perfect. Thank you. Um, this is Tony Bardo, PUC Real Estate. Um, hold on a minute. Could you advance the the slide, please? Thank you. Uh, The city through its Public Utilities Commission owns unimproved agricultural land along State Route 84. It's also known as Niles Canyon Road. Um, The the city owns two parcels. One is near Fremont known as parcel 57. Um, And the other is uh, parcel 65. It's near the town of Sunil, um, at the uh, Niles Canyon Road I-680 interchange, and the, the the parcels that you see outlined in green in this map are also owned by the city, but the two parcels outlined in magenta are the parcels that we're going to be talking about um, over the next few minutes. Um, so Caltrans proposes to construct safety improvements at spot locations along Niles Canyon Road as Part of the state's program to upgrade the road to expressway standards. Next slide, please. Um, To that end, Caltrans seeks to acquire uh, from the city two fee parcels totaling approximately 18,000 square feet and um, approximately 16,000 square feet of temporary construction easement area and approximately 1,600 square feet of permanent Easement area for an electric utility easement to be conveyed uh, to PG&E. Next slide, please. So in this first drawing, this is one of the highlighted in green here is one of the um, uh, fee parcels. It's in parcel 57 near the city of Fremont. Next, next screen, please. Um, This, these are the remaining three parcels that are the subject of this proposed sale the the parcel highlighted in green is another fee parcel the small yellow square is the permanent utility easement to be conveyed to PG&E and that long thin magenta line is the TCE or contemporary or temporary construction easement area next slide please and that 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 one TCE can, uh, extends for some distance all the way to I-680 uh, next slide, please. Uh, PUC has no utility use for this property, and it was deemed underutilized by the assistant general managers of the water, wastewater, and power enterprises in May of 2021. Next slide. Uh, Caltrans made a government code offer for the city property and, and appraised the fair market value as of April 2021 to be eleven thousand. Caltrans, uh, I'm sorry, the city's director of property approved the appraisal in June of 2021. Caltrans staff appraiser updated its appraisal as of April 2022 and concluded there was no change in its original value estimate of 11970. Next slide, please. The city's real property is exempt surplus property because it's surplus land that the city is transferring to another local agency for that agency's use. Next slide, please. Caltrans seeks to purchase the property and has the authority to exercise the power of eminent domain to compel the city to sell the property to Caltrans. And for this and other reasons, a competitive bidding process is impractical and otherwise not in the public interest. Next slide. On September 13th, 2022, The San Francisco Public Utilities Commission approved this sale. The PUC requests that the Budget and Finance Committee recommend this resolution to the full Board of
1: Supervisors. Are there any questions?
0: No, I don't think so. Thank you for the presentation. Can we open this item up for public comment?
1: Yes, members of the public, who wish to speak on this item and are joining us in person should line up now. For those listening remotely, please call 415-655-0001. Uh, enter the meeting ID of two four eight six nine six seven three nine five one then press pound twice Uh, you'll need to press three to enter the speaker line and please continue to wait until the system indicates you have been unmuted and as your signal to begin your comments seeing no in-person speakers in the queue and we have none on the telephone either madam chair
0: public comment is now closed I'd like to make a motion to send this item to the full board with positive recommendation
1: on that motion uh, to forward this resolution to, to the full board with positive recommendation uh vice chair Safai.
6: aye
1: Safai, i Member chan chan aye chair ronan aye ronan aye we have three eyes
0: that motion passes unanimously mr clerk can thank you please, thank you can you please read items four five and
14: six together
1: yes ma'am chair items four five and six our resolutions authorizing the Office of Contract Administration to execute modifications or amendments to contracts between the city and county and the following for the purchase of supplies for city departments. Item four executes modification number seven to a contract with MSC Industrial Supply Company, Inc. for the purchase of industrial supplies, increasing the contract amount by nine hundred thousand for a total contract amount not to exceed approximately fifteen point one million with no change to the contract duration of may first, twenty seventeen through june thirtieth, twenty twenty three. Item 5 executes amendment number 4 to a contract with WW Granger Inc. for the purchase of industrial supplies, increasing the contract amount by 9.5 million for a total contract amount not to exceed 21.6 million and extending the term by one year for a total contract duration of July 15, 2020 through December 31, 2023. Item 6 executes modification number 6 to a contract with Buckle Smith Electric Company. For the purchase of electrical supplies and fixtures, increasing the contract amount by 3 million for a total not to exceed the amount of approximately 16.9 million with no change to the contract duration of July 5th, 2017 through June 30th, 2023. And members of the public are joining us remotely and wish to comment on these resolutions, please call 415 655 0001 with the meeting ID of 2486 967 3951, then press pound twice. Once connected, press star three to enter the speaker line. A prompt will indicate that you have raised your hand, and when the system indicates you have been unmuted, they will be your cue to begin your comments. Madam Chair.
0: Thank you. Good morning, Director, or good afternoon, Director Carella.
15: Good afternoon, uh, Anthony. Nice to see you today. Um, again, Selija Cruella, Director of the Office of Contract Administration. Um, I have just a very brief presentation. Uh, Mr. Clerk? Great. Um, Thank you again, Supervisors. Uh, So uh, I am here today uh, to request your approval of three amendments to three OCA uh, citywide contracts. Uh, Here you'll see a brief summary. Uh, The first contract is for industrial supplies with MSC Industrial Supplies Company. Uh, It was awarded via competitive solicitation in 2017, and it currently has a not-to-exceed contract amount of 14.27 million uh, and an end date of July, uh, excuse me, June 30th, 2023. The second term contract uh, is also for industrial supplies. It's with WW Granger. Uh, it was, uh, for this contract, OCA utilized the results of a competitive solicitation conducted by a national, national cooperative entity uh, per administrative code section 21.16B. Uh, this contract has a current not to exceed contract amount of 12.1 million and an end date of December 31st, 2022. And then finally, the third contract is for electrical supplies and fixtures uh, with Smith Electric Company. It was awarded via competitive solicitation in 2017 uh, and currently has a not to exceed amount of 13.9, mil- 13.9 million and an end date of June 30th, 2023. All three of these contracts are catalog contracts, meaning that city departments may purchase a very broad range of industrial and electrical supplies offered by the supplier based on the manufacturers and product types specified in each contract. Uh, The pricing to the city is based on the specified percentage discount off manufacturer's published catalog uh, pricing. So uh, here um, uh, you'll see that all three of these contracts are quite heavily used by our city departments. Uh, with an average monthly expenditure ranging from uh, about $200,000 per month to up to $421,000 per month. Uh, my next slides, um, in fact, uh, oh, I, I do want to note that um, there have been substantial increases in expenditures during fiscal year 2021 to 2022, uh, primarily because of inflation, uh, which has resulted in an overall higher pricing of the products. Um, as such, the contract balances at this point are insufficient to meet the city's business needs. Uh, the next three slides, uh, I think you have this presentation, but the next next three slides get into great detail about the expenditures uh, on each of these contracts by department uh, without spending too much uh, time on each of these. I think um, what you'll see is, again, that the expenditures have increased in the last fiscal year. Um, and for these contracts, the largest users tend to be the enterprise departments and the Chapter 6 departments, uh, including PUC, airport, MTA, port, and public works. Uh, so, again, uh, at this time, we are requesting your approval uh, for these three amendments, um, given the st- substantial increase in contract expenditures. Uh, you'll see the uh, proposed amendments here. Uh, are, for the MSC contract, we are requesting to increase the contract NTE to $15.177 million and some change. For the Granger contract, uh, we are seeking to increase the NTE to $20.9 million and extend the end date by one year to December 31st, 2023. And for the electrical um, contract with Buckle Smith, we are seeking to uh, increase the NTE by, uh, to $16.9 uh, million six million, and again, some change there. Um, I do want to note um, the BLA made a recommendation to reduce the, propo- the OCA's proposed contingency for the uh, Granger contract. We do agree with this recommendation.
0: Okay, great, thank you. And next we'll hear from the BLA.
3: Thank you. Items four, five, and six are all resolutions um, to increase the not-to-exceed amounts of existing term contracts that are managed by OCA for the purchase of industrial supplies, um, I don't really have much to add to Ms. Salagia, Ms. Um, Corella's presentation, except to say that, you know, we evaluated the increases in the not-to-exceed amount based on the actual spending over the past 15 months, which, as noted, has been accelerating. You know, in general, we agree that these amounts are reasonable um, for the for the remainder of the term of the contracts that are being um, considered here. We did have one recommendation on item five to reduce the not-to-exceed amount by $700,000, um, which the department does agree with. Other than that, we recommend approval.
5: Thank you. Supervisor Chen. Thank you, Chair Ronan. I, I think my question is just more about the management of supplies and inventory checks, um, since there are tools and different things, and especially now that if, if there's a increase of these purchases because of the inflation and everything how do we make sure that we keep track of the supplies and ensure that the inventory is accurate um, maintenance of these tools are to date
15: yes uh, thank you for the question supervisor Um, so uh, uh, per uh, city auditing requirements in fact um, departments are required to uh, essentially track anything that is deemed a capitalized asset uh, and that's generally equipment, equipment over about $5,000 if I'm not mistaken. Um, some departments use uh, uh, the city's financial system, the asset tracking module, to track those assets. Um, some use other other types of systems. I'm not familiar with all of them, but again, um, you know, city departments are required to track those assets. In terms of maintenance of equipment, um, OCA does, and departments do regularly enter into maintenance agreements, separate maintenance agreements to ensure that um, that the equipment is operational um, when needed. Um, in terms of uh, materials and supplies, uh, that is tracked as inventory, which is sort of a separate uh, type of accounting. Again, I think the controller's office here could provide a lot more detailed information about um, the tracking of both equipment and, and assets. But again, I, they, do, they do happen generally within some sort of system.
5: I think, uh, generally speaking, we'd love to see some coordination between the controller's office and, and in your office. To sort of figure out um, you know with the contract administrations to when we tracking supplies and when we're tracking tools that there is uh, hopefully eventually sort of like a, a consistent system that all city departments actually use this one system so that there's uh, a master inventory and then also maintenance uh, information in one. When you when you start processing these types of contracts that come to this body for approval, that you also have an idea not just for tracking, but the the sort of like the, the results of the tracking, meaning is there loss of inventory, you know, or the maintenance, are they meeting annual maintenance standard? Are they actually maintained well, you know, uh, before we continue to increase the dollar amount without some sorts of accountability? I, I am in support of, of these today. I, I I thank you so much for the BLA report. I I don't have questions about approving these three contracts. I just am wanting to make that suggestions and recommendation moving forward. Perhaps that would really help the city. It's very similar my thought on what we had last time talk about cell phone. policies and, and keep track of cell phones in general. So I, I sort of fall into that category of cell phone equipment and supplies for the entire city and I, I think if we have a sort of consistent way to track them will really be helpful for the long term for these type of contracts because they do add up. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Uh, since there's no more questions, we can open this item up for public comment.
1: Yes, Madam Chair, members of the public who wish to speak on this side and are joining us here in the chamber should line up now. For those listening remotely, please call 415-655-0001. Enter the meeting ID of 2486-967-3951 uh, Then press pound twice. Press star 3 to enter the speaker line. Uh, please continue to wait until the system indicates you have been unmuted and that will be your signal to begin your comments. Seeing no in-person speakers here in the chamber, uh, Mr. Lamb. Uh, Madam Chair, we have no speakers in the queue.
0: Public comment is now closed. I'd like to make a motion to amend oh. item five as stated by Ms. Kralla.
1: On that motion to amend item five uh, as stated by the BLA. As uh, stated
0: by the BLA. I or, think.
1: Uh, yes. Accepting, <laughs> accepting the BLA's recommendation. Uh, Vice Chair Safai. Safai, I member Chan. Chan, I. Chair Ronan, Aye. Ronan, I. We have three ayes.
0: That motion passes unanimously, and now I'd like to send items four and six and item five as amended to the full board with positive
1: recommendation. On that motion the forward items four, five, and six to the full board with a positive recommendation. Item five as amended, Vice Chair Safai. Safai, aye. Member Chan. Chan, aye. Chair Ronan. Aye. Ronan, aye. We have three ayes.
0: Motion's passed unanimously. Thank you. Mr. Clerk, can you please read items seven, eight, and nine together?
1: Yes, item number seven, eight, and nine. Our resolutions authorizing the Recreation and Park Department to accept and expand the following, and authorizing the Recreation and Park Department General Manager to enter into modifications and amendments that do not materially increase the obligations or liabilities to the city and are necessary to effectuate the purpose of the project or respective resolutions. Item 7, retroactively accepts and expands the California Department of Parks and Recreation Habitat Conservation Fund grant in the amount of 350000 to support trail improvements within the Twin Peaks, Hope and Space, how for the term of July 1st, 2022 through June 30th, 2027, approving a grant contract that requires a department to maintain the trail for the duration of the contract performance period from July 1st, 2022 through June 30th, 2042 pursuant to the charter. Item number eight, retroactively accepts and expends a $211,000 grant from the California State Department of Parks and Recreation, a Division of Boating and Waterways for the San Francisco Marina Vessel <laughs> Turn-In Program, retroactively approving the grant terms and conditions for the term of uh, August 1st, 2022 through uh, September 30th, 2023. Item nine, accepts and expands a community project funding grant in the amount of 1.5 million from the United States Department of Housing and Urban Development for the Hertz uh, Playground Recreation Center project, authorizing the Recreation and Park Department to enter into a grant agreement effective upon approval of that resolution. Members of the public who are joining us remotely and wish to comment, please call 415-655-0001. Enter the meeting ID of two four eight six nine six seven three nine five one. Then press pound twice. Once connected, press star three to enter the speaker line. A prompt will indicate that you have raised your hand, and when the system indicates you have been unmuted, that will be your cue to begin your comment. Madam Chair.
0: Thank you, and I believe Tony Moran from Rec and Park is on the line.
16: Yes. Um- Good afternoon, committee members. Um, The items you have before you are the, um, is requesting your recommendation to uh, the Board of Supervisors to accept and expand these three grants, to uh, authorize the department to enter into the grant agreements with the various funding agencies and to authorize the general manager to make modifications to those grant agreements. The first grant, the Habitat Conservation Fund grant is administered by the California State Parks Department Um, This grant will make important improvements to the access trail um, at Twin Peaks that connects Crestline Drive to the Twin Peaks open space. The second grant, the Vessel Turning Grant Program, will support the San Francisco Marina in the removal removal of abandoned boats in their jurisdiction. The third grant, uh, the U.S. Department of Housing, and urban development will fund, will support the construction of the new Hertz Rec Center located in McLaren Park. Uh, The third grant, I do need to make uh, amendment to uh, page two, line seven. The term of the grant will actually expire June 31st, 2030, not in September. I'm available if you have any questions.
0: Thank you, Uh, Supervisor Chan. Before I, sorry, let me just ask the BLA to present on item 7.
3: Thanks, Chair Ronin. Uh Item 7 is a resolution that would retroactively um, approve and accept and expend for the Recreation and Parks Department uh, for a grant uh, from the California Department of Parks and Recreation Habitat Conservation Fund. Uh, this grant um, has not been awarded yet though, our parks department um, believes that it it, it may be and so this would be a prospective approval. The grant amount is for $350,000, which should be used to fund a portion of the Twin Peaks Trail Improvement Project. This particular grant would go towards restoring one of the trails um, that's already there connecting the Noe Peak to the residential area that also has a bus stop. You can see on page 27 of our report, the total funding for the Twin Peaks improvement project, which includes restoration of two other trails as well as the conversion of Twin Peaks Boulevard um, into a park primarily funded by grants, as you can see on this budget, and also $750,000 of bond funding. Um, the, this grant agreement also has a 20-year performance period that requires the city to maintain the trail that's improved um, for, for that 20 years. The Parks Department here estimates that the cost of that mm-hmm. Uh, maintenance will start at $145,000 a year. Uh, we, we, Because this grant hasn't been awarded yet, we're considering approval to be a policy matter for the board. And I'm happy to take any other questions.
5: Thank you, Supervisor Chen. Thank you, Chair Ronan. Um, that is the question that I do have um, for Reckham Park that about item number seven, um, you have yet to receive. So it's like retroactive, but you haven't received a grant. Within that grant, seems like there's an agreement that requires the departments to provide a twenty-year maintenance, like to fund actually a twenty years of maintenance for that period. So can you just walk us through the reasoning why this is coming before us before you actually receive the grant?
16: Um yes, um, but, thank but, you but also retroactively, so I'm kind of confused. <laughs> yes, thank you for your question, Supervisor Chan. Um, The grant is retroactive because the grant performance period started July 1st, 2022. This is very—it is very common for California State Parks Department to um, appropriate to start their grant performance periods when the funds are appropriated at the state level. Sometimes that the grants are actually awarded a year or a year and a half after that date. So no funds have been spent on the project using this grant source. The reason that the Recreation Park Department is bringing it to the Board of Supervisors now is because we are in the process of designing uh, other elements of the Twin Peaks Improvement Project, and we want to bring this money in, sign the contract immediately instead of waiting several months to go through the board process. We expect to hear from this award in September, and we are also informed by California State Parks that because that Habitat Conservation Fund Program was undersubscribed. We are very likely to get this grant. And those were the reasons why we moved forward before the award date. Thank you. And and
5: through the chair, my follow-up question is, where is your funding source uh, because of this accepting this grant contract uh, does require the department making the commitment to actually have a maintenance Funds or or fund the maintenance ongoing maintenance for a 20-year period Um, Have you identified funding or this is actually inclusive of your existing capital uh, improvements funding?
16: Well the the site uh, the trail that we're talking about in this particular grant has already been constructed It is already being maintained by the Recreation and Park Department and actually our improvements will actually uh, pr- pr- make it easier to maintain for the next 10 to 15 years
5: wonderful thank you so much and good to see you
16: welcome thank you
5: thank
0: you can we please open these items up for public comments
1: yes chair Brown and members of the public who wish to speak on this item. i now joining us here in the chamber I should line up now to speak for those listening remotely please call 415-655-0001 Enter the meeting ID of 24869673951, then pound twice. Once connected, press star 3 to enter the speaker line. For those already in the queue, please continue to wait until the system indicates you have been unmuted and as your signal to begin your comments. Seeing no in-person speakers here in the chamber. And Madam Chair, we have no callers in the queue.
0: Public comment is now closed. I'd like to make a motion to amend item 9 as stated by Ms. Morin.
1: On that motion to uh, amend item nine as offered by uh, the Recreation and Park Department, Vice Chair Safai, Safai, aye. Member Chan. Chan, aye. Chair Ronan. Aye. Ronan, aye. We have three ayes.
0: That mash- motion passes unanimously and now I'd like to make a motion to send items seven and eight and nine as amended to the full board with positive recommendation.
1: And on that motion to forward uh the items Seven, eight, and nine to the full board with a positive recommendation. Nine as amended. Vice Chair Safai. Safai, aye. Member Chan. Aye. Chan, aye. Chair Ronan, aye. Ronan, aye. We have three s
0: Those motions pass unanimously. Thank you, Ms. Moran. Mr. Clerk, can you please read item number 10?
1: Yes item number 10 is a resolution retroactively authorizing the Department of Public Health to accept and expend a grant in the amount of approximately 262,000 from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention through the California Department of Public Health for participation in the program entitled Centers for Disease Control and Prevention Crisis Response Coronavirus Disease 2019 Public Workforce San Francisco for the period of July 1st 2022 through June 30th 2023. Members of the public who are joining us remotely and wish to comment on this resolution, please call 415-655-0001. Enter the meeting ID of 24869673951, 3951 then press pound twice. Once connected to the meeting, you'll need to press star 3 to enter the speaker line. A prompt will indicate that you have raised your hand and when the system indicates you have been unmuted. That is your signal to begin your comments. Madam Chair.
0: Thank you. And David Steyer on the line, I believe.
11: Yes, hi, this is David Steer for the Department of Public Health. I hope you can see these slides. Can we see the next one, please? So thank you for the opportunity to provide this information. Um, The California Department of Public Health sponsored this Immunization Champions Grant to all California counties. Uh, to address the fact that during the pandemic, many children in California fell behind on their routine immunizations, including immunizations required to attend school and also because, uh, the state has experienced lower than hoped for covid 19 vaccination rates among the 5 to 11 year old age groups. Generally, in San Francisco, um, our population is very receptive. To vaccinations uh, for the prior school year, 95% of entering kindergartners and 93% of entering seventh graders had all their required shots, as reported by the schools. Um, Also, uh, and this is on our public dashboard, 78% of San Francisco children ages five to 11 have completed their COVID 19 primary series uh, versus. just 38% statewide. Next slide, please. Um, so uh, in terms of immunization needs in San Francisco, uh, the percent of children who were overdue for school vaccines tends not to be distributed equally. Uh, some charter schools and those in neighborhoods with higher proportions of Black and African-American children uh, have had more overdue children. Um, also, local clinics and health systems have had staffing shortages, and San Francisco Unified District Health staff have been fielding concerns from parents regarding difficulties getting timely access to vaccination catch-up appointments, uh, especially in some of our more vulnerable populations. And this is a multifaceted and longstanding problem It has most recently been highlighted by COVID vaccination disparities. Uh, At the same time, uh, the pandemic response and associated emergency funds have offered some new and creative opportunities for us to reach communities at the highest need. Next slide please. So, um, how are these funds being used Um, according to grant or they must be spent on staff supporting. Um, transitional kindergarten and K-12 schools. They can't be used to support childcare populations or supplant other funding. Um, we need to report back to the grant or uh, semi-annually in terms of the number of personnel hired, their status and the associated costs. The f- funds must be spent by the end of this fiscal year. However, uh, the state is <laughs> mulling over the possibility of a no-cost extension. Uh, the original grant amount to part of Public Health was three hundred and forty two thousand. Um, we released uh, eighty thousand of that to San Francisco Unified to support them hiring a vendor to review immunization records at all grade levels within San Francisco Unified. So the total uh, grant to uh, Department of Public Health is two hundred and forty two thousand. Um, in the time that's uh, started since we received the grant, um, the Department of Public Health formed a coalition coalition called Advancing Childhood Vaccine Catchup, composed of the Health Department, Unified School District, Maternal, Child, and Adolescent Health, and the various health systems in San Francisco, and developed the draft action plan uh, to improve timely access to vaccination catch-up appointments. And with this funding a p103 special nurse was hired um, who uh, assisted with the uh, program development over this past summer Uh, she has since vacated the position and we are in the rehiring process. So that is that's our summary of the project and I'm happy to take any questions.
0: Thank you any questions colleagues. Nope. Nope seeing none we will open this item up for public comment.
1: Yes, Madam Chair, members of the public who wish to speak on the side and are joining us in person should line up now. For those listening remotely, please call 415-655-0001, enter the meeting ID of two four eight six nine six seven three nine five one. 3951 then pound, then pound again. Uh, you will need to press star 3 to enter the speaker line. Please continue to wait until the system indicates you have been unmuted and that is your signal to begin your comments. Seeing no in-person speakers here in the chamber, and hey, Madam Chair, we have the speakers in the queue.
0: Public comment is now closed. I'd like to make a motion to send this item to the full board with positive recommendation.
1: On that motion to forward this resolution to the full board with a positive recommendation, Vice Chair Safai. Safai, aye. Member Chan. Chan, aye. Chair Ronan. Aye. Ronan, aye. We have three ayes.
0: That motion passes unanimously. Mr. Clerk, can you please call item number 11?
1: Yes, item number 11 is a resolution retroactively authorizing the Department of Public Health to accept and expand a grant increase in the amount of approximately 500,000 from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention for a total amount of approximately 969,000 for participation in the program entitled National Human Immunodeficiency Virus Behavioral Surve- uh, Surveillance uh, San Francisco for the period of January 1st, 2022 through December thirtieth, uh, 31st, 2022. Members of the public who are joining us remotely and wish to comment, please call 415-655-0001. Enter the meeting ID of two four eight six nine six seven three nine five one, then press pound twice, press star three to enter the speaker line. A prompt will indicate you have raised your hand, and when the system indicates you have been unmuted, please begin your comments. Madam Chair.
0: Thank you, and I believe Aaron Wilson is on the line for this item.
14: Dear Supervisors, I'm Erin Wilson, a Senior Research Scientist at the Center for Public Health Research and the Director of the Trans Research Unit for Equity here at the San Francisco Department of Public Health. Uh, Just a quick background on what is NHBS. It's our national system. It's funded by the CDC to provide data on HIV prevalence, risk, and preventive behaviors among community members in San Francisco most impacted by HIV. Our focus is specifically with men who have sex with men, high-risk heterosexuals, trans women, and people who inject drugs in our city. We're currently in the field collecting data with 500 people who inject drugs to assess a number of factors, including gaps in access and utilization of novel HIV prevention, like pre-exposure prophylaxis and indicators of HIV care engagement and viral suppression at the community level. So what the purpose of This study funded by CDC is to actually capture folks outside our healthcare system, so people who are not um, having the advantages of those folks in our our system. Um, We've been a leader in using these data to drive national and local policy for a number of decades now using this funding stream and to uh, promote and drive programs since the inception of NHBS many years ago. Uh, we hope you'll concur with the valuable work that our unit's doing and accept these funds from the CDC to the San Francisco Department of Public Health. Uh, thank you.
0: Thank you so much. Colleagues, any questions? Seeing none, we'll open this item up for public
9: comment.
1: Yes, members of the public who wish to speak on this item and are joining us in person should line up now to speak. For those listening remotely, please call 415-655-0001 with the meeting ID of 2486 then and press pound twice. How once connected, press star three to enter the speaker line. Please continue to wait until the system indicates you have been unmuted and as your signal to begin your comments. Seeing nobody here in the chamber, and Madam Chair, we have no speakers in the queue.
0: Public comment is now closed. I'd like to make a motion to send this item to the full board with positive recommendation.
1: On that motion, to forward this resolution to the full board with a positive recommendation, Vice Chair Safai. Safai, I, Member Chan. Chan, I, Chair Ronan? Aye. Ronan, aye. We have three ayes.
0: Thank you. That motion passes unanimously. Mr. Clerk, can you please read item number 12?
1: Yes, item number twelve is a resolution retroactively authorizing the Department of Public Health to enter into an emergency contract with Health Management Associates, Inc. in compliance with the administrative code requiring approval by the board uh, for any emergency contract in excess of one hundred thousand for the purpose of providing specialized consulting services in an amount not to exceed approximately three point seven million for a term of thirteen and one half months from May 9th 2022 through june 30th 2023 and approving amendment one to the agreement for providing specialized consulting services to increase the agreement by approximately 2.5 million for an amount not to exceed approximately 6.2 million would no change to the contract term from may 9th, 2022 through june 30th 2023 and to authorize the department to enter into any amendments or modifications to the contract that do not otherwise materially increase the obligations or liabilities to the city and are necessary or advisable to effectuate the purposes of the contract or this resolution. Members of the public who are joining us remotely and wish to comment on this resolution, please call 415-655-0001. The meeting ID is 2486-967-3951 Then press pound twice. Uh, Once connected, press star 3 to enter the speaker line. It promptly will indicate that you had raised your hand, and when uh, the system indicates you have been unmuted, that is your signal to begin speaking. Madam Chair.
0: Thank you, and we heard this item uh, last week. Um, Mr. Sanha, do you have any additional comments to make?
17: Absolutely. Uh, good afternoon, Supervisors. So, last week I came before you to speak about this contract, and there was a robust conversation and specific areas covered. So, today I want to spend one or two minutes just to reorient us to the scope of the contract, and then I'll yield the microphone over to, to Greg Wagner, Chief Operating Officer of the Department of Public Health, to help answer any specific uh, budget and finance related questions. So, with that, we can advance to slide five. Um, the initial slides are just overall background, which um, Supervisors, are, you're familiar with. So uh, as a matter of reorientation, Health Management Associates uh, specializes in publicly funded healthcare and human services policy, programs, financing, and evaluation. HMA has completed the following deliverables to date, a comprehensive survey, readiness assessment, and a mock CMS survey across all regulatory requirements. Now the mock survey and readiness assessment were the basis on which we built and have been the basis for the subsequent and current improvement efforts. Uh, These, um, this mock survey included subject matter experts from different fields, including physicians, pharmacy, nursing, fire, life, safety, uh, which conducted that comprehensive survey of all applicable skilled nursing facility and acute care regulations. Those deliverables are what resulted in the need to develop uh, what was referred to as task three, the comprehensive education training curriculum. And this is where uh, HMA helped develop and teach a 16 hour curriculum addressing the findings of the assessment and mock to all 1,200 staff across four weeks um, and then provided that curriculum to Laguna Honda now to own, uh, to utilize in upcoming years. Uh, this is the data you also reviewed uh, last week on training. They've also helped launch Laguna Honda's change management program to support culture change. Now, they continue to work on the top-to-bottom Laguna Honda assessment to ensure that the long-term success will look beyond recertification to the structural changes at Laguna Honda, and that uh, this assessment was delayed from 2019. And those areas, just to give you a sense of covering it, are exec leadership, organizational management, med staff, nurse ops, and others. And they're also developing the CMS recertification application itself.
0: Excuse me one sec. Supervisor Safei just had a comment. Didn't you give us all this last time?
17: Absolutely, but I just want to make sure that we're reoriented before we yield the floor no, no, to Greg.
6: I, we I, I'm sorry, we have a long meeting today. If it's, if it's okay with the chair, we can just go straight to the well, Absolutely, to the serve at the pleasure you did, of the supervisors. You did, a, you did a wonderful job explaining everything last time. I'm not trying to be rude, just trying to keep us on task.
17: Not at all. Then on that note, we can advance to slide, I think, seven, and then I'll yield the floor to Mr. Wagner.
18: Hi, good afternoon, Supervisors. Greg Wagner, Chief Operating Officer, Department of Public Health. Um, And if you can put up the uh, slide, I think we can just go to the next slide, slide eight. Um, So I know that there was a a discussion at last week's hearing, uh, and I want to respond to a couple of the particular uh, issues that the board had raised. Um, I'll just start by saying I, I completely understand Uh, with these emergency contracts in particular uh, that this is a challenge both for the board's role and for the department's role because we're kind of by definition here dealing with something that was not anticipated in the budget process and we're in that kind of uncomfortable territory of managing into the future uh, as we we make decisions about today. Um, So um, a couple of just kind of a, a. Uh, business items on this. Uh, First of all, uh, we would like to propose that we reduce the total not to exceed of the contract by 377,667. That is uh, coming from uh, just over the past several days as Mr. Sanga went back, pushed particularly on the travel costs and evaluating the projected spending, Uh, and we feel comfortable that we can uh, we can do that. Good. Um, so, uh, thank, thank you for, Good job uh, yeah. So, uh, uh, Baljeet, uh, did a, did a great job kind of pushing on that, the value there. Great. Um, the second thing is just kind of globally on emergency contracts. Um, we, we do not right now anticipate that we're going to have any additional emergency contracts, uh, coming to the board. Um, I say we do not right now because the nature of this is, you know, I don't, I don't want to promise something not knowing uh, what's going to happen in the future. Uh, but right now, we don't have uh, beyond what's in front of you today and what is associated with the settlement agreement that the board approved last night. We do not anticipate that there will be uh, additional contracts coming. Um, in terms of how we fund these contracts or how we're anticipating that we'll fund this, uh, I know that that was a topic of discussion last week. Um, it's not a simple answer uh, for exactly I think the reasons that you're raising I mean when we uh, submitted the budget we had a sense of what was going on uh, but we didn't know what this contract was going to look like we didn't know what situation we'd be in uh, when we got to this place uh, and so we couldn't foresee it Uh, what we are doing in the Department of Public Health is we have our incident command system set up uh, that includes the financial management from Laguna Honda. Uh, it's overseen by uh, Dr. Colfax, myself, Mr. Sangha, and others, including uh, Roland Pickens, who you've uh, spoken with extensively, that's trying to manage the needs uh, and other operational items, including the finances and the cost for the response. Uh, that's a, it is a tricky process. Uh, we have uh, monthly meetings with the controller's office uh, to uh, review expenses and revenues related to the situation at Laguna Honda. And that help is going to help us as we manage through the six month, nine month and in between uh, financial reports, how we fold this into our larger projections for the department. Uh, What we are working on right now is, because of the unforeseen nature of this, is trying to to manage our finances week to week and month to month to identify uh, uh, dollars that we can uh, reallocate to to fund some of these costs. Um, So examples of where we're doing that, uh, right now, as you know, because there's a freeze on admissions to Laguna Honda, uh, we have a lower patient census than we would otherwise have uh, budgeted. That has resulted in savings on purchasing for routine materials and supplies that we're forecasting to be several millions of dollars, probably $4 million over the course of the fiscal year. So that's an example of where there's uh, m- multiple facets of, of the implications of this, and we're, we're trying to look for both the costs and the savings. We're looking at capital projects that we can defer and reallocate funds from uh, because really right now, with the exception of things that are necessary for recertification, we're not in a position to start uh, uh, new major uh, capital programs. Um, And we are uh, also working on revenues. Uh, Even since the budget was approved just a couple of months ago, we've had further extensions of the federal medical assistance percentage uh, enhancement that was part of the stimulus. Uh, so there's potential revenue news of course that'll have to be offset against everything else that's happening as we go through our our six-month planning report Um, so the point here is really not to kind of give you an accounting but to try to give you a sense of how we're managing this Uh, within the department we are really doing our best to uh, try to manage within budget um, and uh, Th- these are these are challenging issues for us uh, as as I know they are uh, for the board uh, so we don't like to bring you uh, these contracts but just want to give you our assurance that we are are doing our best to uh, manage what we bring to you and figure out how we can uh, make it financially viable as we go
0: I w- I just will say that's that's very helpful to get an idea I I can't believe supplies are that expensive for a million for a year but but I can't believe it because everything is so expensive, but right. it, that's that's significant. Um, but that is helpful to know how you got to those numbers, rather than six million just flew, <laughs> you know, fell from the sky of your. It budget. certainly
18: does not fall from the sky.
0: Right. Okay. Thank you. Um, appreciate that. Is there any or the, does the budget and legislative analyst want to present again? Or I, I know you didn't change your report much.
3: No, we didn't change our report. I would just say that the. You know the travel labor that was discussed last time that was based on fifty percent of the billing rate of the staff in the contract that's not an uncommon practice for management consultants, but I understand um they were able to find some savings because their projections have changed
6: and hear what the last thing you said but.
0: Yeah, you, you, that we couldn't. I wasn't. I just. I,
3: I guess I'm not clear about where the savings is coming
6: from. That's what I was going right? to ask is right it,
3: now. Is it? Is it from <laughs> the travel labor? Are they changing the contract for the travel labor, That's or right. is it because they're just going to spend less? They're going
18: to build less. I think less. they
6: push back. We're going to find out.
18: <laughs> uh, supervisors, um, so of that amount that we had proposed to reduce, $100,000 approximately is from the travel uh, budget. And the remainder is from, uh, essentially, us revising our, our projected hourly usage of uh, labor over the course of the remaining contract. Good. OK. So I just want to say thank you. Um,
6: when we saw those numbers, they jumped out and did, just didn't seem to make sense. So really appreciate you going back and sharpening the pencil. Um, every, I think every dollar counts in this time. So and then being creative with their funding and giving us a full explanation of that. I know that that raised flags for for me in particular, and I know the chair also uh, expressed her concerns.
1: So thank you.
0: Yes, thank you. And now we can open the item up for public
1: comment. Thank you, Madam Chair, members of the public. who wish to speak on this item and are joining us in person should line up now. For those listening remotely, please call 415-655-0001. The meeting ID is 2486-967-3951 and press pound twice. Once connected, press star three to enter the speaker line. If you're already in the queue, please continue to wait until the system indicates you have been unmuted and that'll be your signal to begin your comments. Seeing no in-person speakers here in the chamber, And Madam Chair, we have no speakers in the queue.
0: Public comment is now closed. Um, A question for City Attorney Ann Pearson. I don't have the written amendments, but if I just make an oral amendment to reduce the amount, the not to exceed amount by $377,667, is that sufficient?
15: Deputy City Attorney Ann Pearson. I did the math, and I think that comes out to $5,863,302. does, if DPH agrees, then we could. Is...
18: I'm sorry, and could you repeat the number?
15: <laughs> sure, I um, five million eight hundred sixty-three thousand three hundred two. Will that be the new not to exceed if we reduce it by the amount? You
18: looking back and seeing if anyone's got their calculator up. Confirmed. Thank you.
0: (laughs) Okay, great. That's sufficient. Okay, great. So I'd like to make a motion to amend item 12 to reflect uh, the reduction of three hundred thousand, three hundred seventy-seven thousand, six hundred sixty-seven dollars, as stated by Ms. Pearson.
1: On that motion, as offered by yourself, Chair Ronan, to amend, as stated, Vice Chair Safai, Safai, I, Member Chan. Chan, aye. Chair Ronan?
0: Aye. Ronan, aye. We have three ayes. That motion passes unanimously I'd like to make a motion to send the amended item to the full board with positive recommendation.
1: On that motion to forward this resolution to the full board with a positive recommendation as just amended. Vice Chair Safai. Safai, aye. Member Chan? Chan, aye. Chair Ronan? Aye. Ronan, aye. We have three ayes.
0: That motion passes unanimously. Just want to note that we're uh, joined by Supervisor Catherine Stephanie. Thanks for joining us. And Mr. Clerk, can you please read items 13 and 14 together?
1: Yes, Madam Chair. Item 13 is a resolution uh, retroactively approving an agreement between the Department of Public Health Behavioral Health Sciences uh, Services and the California Department of Health Care Services to provide substance use disorder services for an amount not exceed $248.6 million for the five-year term of July 1st, 2022 through June 30th and to authorize the Department of Public Health to enter into amendments or modifications to the agreement prior to its final execution by all parties that do not materially increase the obligation or liabilities to the city and are necessary to effectuate the purposes of the agreement or that resolution and item 14 is a hearing to consider the department of public health secondary employment policies and the overall Edition of Baker Places, Inc., and requesting uh, the Department of Public Health and Department of Human Resources to report. Uh, members of the public who are joining us remotely and wish to comment, please call 415-655-0001. Enter the meeting ID of 2486-967-3951. And press pound twice, Once connected. Uh, press star three to enter the speaker line. Hey, system prompt will indicate that you have raised your hand, and when the system indicates you have been unmuted, that is your cue to begin your comments. Madam Chair.
0: Thank you. Supervisor Safai, if you want to introduce these items. Yes, thank you.
6: So uh, there's a couple items, a couple things we're talking about today. I want to thank DPH for being here today. The first is the purpose of the hearing is twofold. Uh, The first part is to hear from the Department of Public Health on the fiscal condition the current situation of Baker Places. Uh, The second portion is to discuss um, one of the items that we discovered while looking into Baker Places finances, and and that was to do with secondary employment. Um, Let me say in the outset that this is focused squarely on Baker Places and secondary employment. On that side of the organization, PRC, formerly known as Positive Resource Center, provides critical HIV services and there's no issues that have been raised with that organization and the services they're providing. Um, But Baker Places provides substance abuse and mental health treatment, as we know. And issues started, uh, they started merging with PRC back in 2017, uh, but that process has not gone well. Uh, Starting back in 2020, uh, DPH knew of the financial predicament facing this organization Uh, We talked quite a bit about that during the budget process last year. At the tail end, after we had almost finalized the budget, we were asked to look at some emergency funding. Um, We pushed back significantly. Um, And while some services have been offered, there's a lack of clarity, Uh, excuse me, the the lack of clarity about the finances is is very troubling with the organization. Um, So I understand that the controller is doing a review um, and that has uh, started during the supplemental budget appropriation process and is ongoing. Uh, but today, we're going to hear from DPH about the status of Baker Places and then turn to the secondary employment topic. So um, the secondary employment topic came up uh, during the period of financial instability. Uh, we discovered uh, that Baker Places was paying city employee, high-ranking city employee within their own department, over $100,000 a year from a city contract, from their city-funded contract. And according to dph own statements, this arrangement was um, approved by DPH but was not officially approved by the Department of Human Resources as required by our city law. So now we'll hear from... DPH at some point um, after we go through the Baker Places issue and how the process is supposed to work and how many other DPH employees are earning outside income at least that DHR knows about because those are the ones that have been brought to their attention and that have been approved. Um, And then we'll hear again from DPH on how they're improving their processes to ensure that they're complying with the requirements. The thing that caught me the most was it was a city-funded nonprofit using that city funds to pay a city employee. And that employee, as we understand it, was supposed to be a 24-hour on-call employee. I don't know how you can have that job and have that secondary employment from a struggling organization or even it's not struggling from an organization that's funded by the city. I also want to say that this is not an assault or, or or an inquiry or quest to eliminate secondary employment. We understand that that is something that happens in the city. My biggest concern is about the inherent conflict of interest of obtaining secondary employment from an organization that is funded by that department. I think that is a fundamental conflict of interest. So why don't we first start from DPH to talk about Baker Places and um, how their uh, financial situation is and and get some clarity uh, moving on to the secondary employment and and what is going to happen with those services
18: okay uh, thank you uh, through the chair um, uh, Super- chair Ronan Greg Wagner again uh, DPH chief operating officer um, so uh, I'll, I'll def- defer to you all on how you want to handle the two items uh, there is one that is an agreement with the state between DPH uh, that um, is related to how Medi-Cal is uh, uh, paid to the city, uh, Baker being currently one of the providers under that agreement. Uh, But we also have a uh, presentation uh, summarizing where uh, we are with Baker today. Uh, If Anna, if you could bring up that presentation. Um, And I will go through this uh, quickly, I think, Probably a lot of this is going to be uh, governed by your uh, questions and areas of interest, so we'll, we'll summarize where we are. Uh, next slide, please. Uh, so we'll go through the background, the current status, and where we are with uh, service uh, transfer planning. Next slide, please. Um, so as, as you uh, said in your uh, introductions, uh, Baker, PRC and Baker, but Baker for the topic of this hearing, Uh, provides some very important services, uh, including under contract with the Department of Public Health. Uh, They are part of our uh, behavioral health and social safety net uh, system of care uh, in San Francisco. As you know, and as you also mentioned in your uh, uh, initial remarks, there have been some financial challenges um, at uh, Baker uh, for quite some time. Uh, and DPH along with the controller's office and uh, other city departments have been pretty deeply engaged with uh, with Baker and working on these. Um, right now, uh, the status is that uh, Baker continues to struggle. Uh, they have informed uh, the Department of Public Health and our city partners uh, that they intend to uh, withdraw from providing services for uh, at least a number of programs that they're currently under contract to provide. Um, So our top priority is to ensure continuity of care for the clients that use those programs and to maintain our our system of care through through any transition. Uh, We are right now uh, working, remain working closely with Baker and PRC on their financial model providing them quite a bit of support, uh, both uh, uh, technically and operationally, uh, as we go through this process, and we'll continue to do that over time. Next slide, please. Um, so uh, this, this uh, slide, I think you've seen before, uh, but uh, PRC is affiliated with Baker, as you mentioned, Supervisor Safai in your introduction. They're separate entities. Uh, but they are uh, related through a management services agreement and a shared uh, board a board of directors that serves as the board uh, in a dual capacity for both organizations. Uh, PRC provides a number of services, financial assistance, benefits advocacy, HIV outwork, uh, outreach, and workforce development, among others. And then Baker Places is one of our uh, uh, major substance use and behavioral health providers. As you can see on this slide, uh, they currently have about 215 beds contracted uh, as part of our behavioral health system of care. Uh, As I said, the organizations are affiliated, but the merger was never completed, and they are legally uh, separate entities. Next slide, please. Um, So just uh, going back a little bit uh, in terms of how we got to where we are today, um, we have been working with Baker for quite some time. Uh, These discussions go back to fiscal year 2021 and in some respects before that period of time. Uh, In fall of 2021, Baker came to the controller's office and then subsequently to DPH and raised concerns about their financial status, uh, including uh, that they believed that they were undercompensated in their contracts, that their contracts were not sufficient uh, to meet the full cost of the, the programs that they were contracted to provide. Um, so that began a series of events over the last uh, uh, year or so. Uh, for chief among those, uh, the city, after that notification by Bader, Baker, the city uh, hired a supervisor Safi, Safai. He mentioned a financial consultant through the controller's office at the city's expense to do a review of their uh, their budgets, their expenditures, and their contracted revenues. Uh, That work, uh, portions of that work have been performed and portions are ongoing. Um, In addition, uh, what we did at that time is we moved the contracts for the organization uh, from a fee-for-service model to a cost-reimbursement model. Uh, And that is something that we do infrequently, but it's not unique. And we did that particularly because the organization flagged the issue uh, that they did not believe their contracts were paying their full costs. So we said, okay, we'll move to a model where we do pay your full costs. And that was happening uh, through the the winter of uh, 2021, 2022. As you also know uh, from prior hearings at the board, Uh, There was a significant change that happened around May of 2022 uh, where uh, we're working closely with Baker and felt that we're on, uh, I I think both the city and Baker collectively felt that we're on a a better trajectory, and there was, I I guess, a relatively abrupt uh, notification that Baker believed it was running out of cash and would not be able to make payroll. And that was the first time that we had an indication uh, that that the problem was of a different nature than we had previously anticipated, uh, where it was not about whether the contract matched the cost of the program. It was about the fact that Baker was using current revenues to pay old bills and had gotten themselves into a cash crunch. Um, At that time, uh, because we were so close to the end of the fiscal year, Uh, and uh, we were concerned about stability of those programs. As you obviously know, we brought to the Board of Supervisors a request for an emergency grant. Uh, We took that action very seriously. Uh, We did not want to do that, and we understand that that put the board in a a challenging position uh, when we did do it. Uh, But the reasoning was simply that, that we did not have a mechanism we, through our contracts, can pay for services. We can pay for costs. We cannot give cash to an organization to pay old bills, and that is where we essentially um, had ended up. Uh, so that emergency grant, which the board approved, and we are, are grateful for, and I know Baker is grateful for, uh, got us through the window to the end of the fiscal year, allowed them to make payroll through the end of the fiscal year uh, to uh, pass July 1st, when we began a new fiscal year, including a new initial payment uh, for Baker, which is where we provide a three-month initial payment for uh, the cost of their contract, sometimes referred to as an advance, but technical word is initial payment, and that is designed to uh, help improve cash flow, and it's it's relied upon by a number of our providers. Uh, During that period of time, Uh, we're working closely with Baker on the financial sustainability plan uh, which the board required in the resolution that it passed uh, and uh, made uh, quite a bit of progress which has led to some of the changes that we have already implemented uh, in the financial and contractual relationships with Baker most recently uh, in just September uh, the the most um, recent challenge has been uh, Baker came back to us and said that they believed that they were, again, um, out of cash, did not have sufficient cash available to, um, to continue to meet their payroll uh, for the short or medium term. Uh, but in addition, and I think significantly, uh, that they had reached a point where their administrative capacity, uh, including their financial staffing, their ability to uh, submit invoices to the city had in many ways deteriorated so that they were unable to, um, uh, unable to do some of the basic things required to even draw city reimbursement under their uh, now cost-based contracts. Um, so that has been a uh, cause for um, alarm for obviously for Baker but also for the city. Uh, There has been turnover in uh, Baker's financial staffing, including their financial leadership. Uh, They have been understaffed. And so really what we're talking about is we got to the point where we said, okay, here is a, a way via your contract that you can bill us and draw reimbursement to keep your cash flow moving. They were unable to create the invoices to submit to the city to draw that cash. So again, that became a very different type of problem, uh, which is beyond the level of technical assistance that the city and DPH usually provide through their uh, contract monitoring and their technical assistance, our, our technical assistance programs. Um, at that point, uh, Baker uh, notified the city uh, that they plan to withdraw uh, from providing at least four programs that they're currently under contract for. And that frankly was a, a flag to DPH that uh, we were now in a territory where we had to make contingency plans to ensure that we had continuity of services uh, for our, um, our clients. Uh, so we have been doing that. Uh, we have been working uh, through the behavioral health system of care to identify uh, potential providers to take on uh, services that are currently provided by Baker while at the same time working closely with Baker Uh, to try to keep them going
6: Um, so I'm sorry how close are you to finding that potential provider and where are things going I mean because we were asked for money we gave you some some money to fund those services and now we're hearing that they're no longer able to provide those services they keep telling you all that they're not this is something that's been going on for a couple of years I mean 2017 is five years now I understand that it's not easy to transition and find another provider, but I just would like to hear a little bit more about how close you are.
18: Yeah, uh, get, getting a perfect transition. Uh, next slide, please, Anna. Um, so uh, where we are right now is we uh, just, within the last couple of weeks, uh, reached an agreement with uh, Baker uh, where we proposed a uh, essentially a a set of kind of financial agreements between the city and Baker that would allow us to provide a transition period through June 30th, uh, 2023. Uh, This is very important to us because uh, we it is going to take some time to transfer some of those programs and we need the runway to do that and that has been our focus working with Baker is how do we provide this transition period uh, so that we don't have uh, have an impact on our clients as we go through that, uh, Baker accepted uh, that proposal just uh, last week, I believe. Um, that does that does there will be programs that do transfer before uh, June of 2023, and in fact, we probably have at least two programs that will transition by January uh, to a new provider. Um, Others, though, are going to take longer because it will be more challenging to either find a provider or the lead time uh, to to transition clients will be longer, and that's why the runway is very important to us. Um, Next slide, please. Uh, The two uh, that are in progress right now are the Joe Healy program and Acceptance Place Uh, we have an agreement with health right 360 to take on those services and we're targeting January 2nd 2023 Uh, so those were two of the most immediate that Baker had flagged for us and two that we have been uh, focused on on working on can I uh, let me just
6: interrupt for one second because since item number 13 and 14 were called together I just want to say that the issue that we saw uh, colleagues on item number 13, I want to thank the department for responding so quickly and moving on this. Um, we sent that back to committee from the board because Joe Healy detox was identified as a potential provider. We hadn't gotten that updated information. Um, but now, as you see on the screen, it's going to be transferred over to Health Right 360. You know, it's a critical program uh, by the organization because if it's not able to run, you, you know, it's a detox, It's Substance, I mean, so it's extremely, extremely critical. But having, uh, you, I know your team worked diligently to identify Health Right 360. So, given that success, I no longer have any issues with item number 13. I think that clarity has been provided today. Um, Mr. Clerk, I'd like to be added as a co-sponsor to item number 13. I just want to interject that so we can keep the flow of things moving because I don't know if anyone else has any specific questions about item number 13, but since they were called together, I thought I would jump in
18: and underscore that real quickly. Please proceed, Mr. Wagner. Okay. Uh, Thank you, Supervisor. Uh, So um, so those transitions are underway. Uh, We uh, currently, through the behavioral health system of care, are working on each of the programs uh, identified uh, or that are under contract with Baker to identify alternative providers. Uh, we will, as we get news or as we get resolution on those, we'll keep the board informed on our plans for those. Um, yeah, but we're we're actively working on that and we are actively working on uh, managing between the city attorney's office and Baker what that relation or what that transition period will look like contractually uh,
0: do we know if Baker is going to cease to exist after the transition is final
18: we don't know I don't know Um, you know I think there are a lot of things that have to uh, still unfold with regard to um, to what the future of Baker is I know there are several conversations that we're having with um, Baker leadership on an ongoing basis a couple of things that I think are relevant to your question even though the answer at the end of the day is I don't know um, are uh, number one uh, they have significant assets primarily in the form of real estate Uh, there are complicating factors with how those were financed including uh, financing from OCD Um, they have significant debt a lot of which at this point has been transitioned so that it's effectively lies with the city. And so one of the things that we have been talking about with Baker is between those two, uh, is there a way to put those two together uh, so that there's some sort of a, a financing uh, process that can occur uh, that gets them past the point where they are right now where they feel that their, uh, their debt is too great to um, recover from uh, on their income. Uh, So uh, we have asked the controller's office for help with that, and they're working on it. MoCD is also involved. The other question I think that we are still sorting through is whether there is some uh, subset of the programs that Baker currently manages that uh, would make sense uh, financially and operationally to uh, stay with Baker or uh, PRC or some Uh, hybrid uh, kind of form uh, in terms of what the organization and legal relationship looks like. I just
6: want to jump in for one second because this is one of the things that has actually bothered me about some of the service delivery It's not unique to DPH but it is a DPH and an HSH um, issue when you contract with service providers that have assets that have either the long-term lease or own the property that they're providing the service to the city in and then in the worst case scenario, they become financially insolvent or they're unable to provide those services further, we're kind of left holding the bag. Because if they go out of business and they evict these patients, where are they gonna go? Or if they cease to exist, they're the ones that have the contract. And I imagine that some of the difficulty that you've had over the last five years of finding a provider is, as you just mentioned, a number of these places are under contract and lease with that entity. So I would encourage you to review that practice internally and ensure that, like we did on the previous item, the city had to long own the property. The city was the property. I mean we're ultimately the ones that are giving these organizations millions and millions of dollars anyway. We own the property now at 10th in Mission or 9th in Mission and then we're leasing it to the organization. So if the lease runs out and that organization is out, we can bring in a new provider and the property is still in the hands of the city. So this model is not an effective model. It is not a good service delivery when things go bad. And so I understand that similar to the travel labor, which I had never heard of before, but until we pushed on it, that just saved the city you know, another $400,000. So I I would just say, please, you know, either we can do it through an audit, or you all can do it on your own. But you have to look at these contracts and this model of delivery, because it's causing problems um, in these most extreme situations. I know you're almost done with your presentation. But I'm I'm sorry, just because you mentioned it, I wanted to jump in and say something. Um, Are you almost done? Yes. I, I know Supervisor Stephanie has some questions too. Did you have something on that particular point, Supervisor Stephanie? Go ahead.
19: Thank you, Supervisor Safayeen. Thank you, Mr. Wagner. Um, you mentioned that Joe Healy and Acceptance Place will be transferred and relocated to Health Right 360. And I'm just wondering how that determination was made. Was it through an RFP, given that HealthRite360 has its own staffing shortages right now, especially I know they do it at Walden House. I know it's called something different now. But um, how was that determination made? And especially with regard to Joe Healy Detox, um, the medical supervision um, required for detox from alcohol um, is very um, um, very involved, and I'm just wondering whether or not Health Right 360 proved to you in some way that they were the best nonprofit to do this.
18: Uh, thank you so much, Supervisor. I'm going to ask uh, uh, Max Roca, who's the Director of the Behavioral Health System of Care, to uh, respond.
20: good
21: afternoon supervisors my name is max rocher director of systems of care at Behavioral health services regarding supervisors stephanie's question uh, we selected health rights 360 based on the R- prior rfp process they were one of the uh, bidders who successfully awarded for the services the drug medical services Regarding your questions for workforce, yeah, we're also deeply concerned about workforce. Uh, We've been actually orchestrating conversations between Healthwise 360 and Baker PRC to um, extend employment opportunities from Healthwise 360 to Baker PRC Uh, should staff, especially nursing staff, uh, who are interested in transferring or take new employment opportunities at Healthwise 360 they can apply and uh, quickly be onboarded. Um, we are still pending final results from, uh, from Healthwise 360 and Baker PRC, which staff members are interested in going. Yeah. Thank you.
6: You want to f- go ahead and finish, Mr. Wagner.
18: Um, thanks, Supervisor. I think we'll leave it at that. Um, just, I'll just summary kind of takeaway points are uh, we have a lot of work to do. Uh, We are just over the last couple of weeks optimistic that we are now on a track uh, to get what we have really been hoping and pushing for, which is this transition period that'll give us time to uh, make a transition uh, in an orderly uh, manner. And uh, we will likely be uh, talking to this committee further as we come back uh, via the budget process, uh, but also any contract uh, changes that'll be required as as part of that process
6: yeah I would just say it would be I think it's important that you keep us updated on what's going on with Baker places given the fact that sounds like there's multiple directions this can go in either you're encouraging them to potentially keep some of their work on a much smaller scale or they're going to transition it to potential other providers we'd like to know who those are um, I've heard you know off the record from one of the staff that there's some identified potential organizations but again it might be in the same situation which was just asked by Supervisor Stephanie it might be an organization that's already stretched very thin and then you could potentially be putting that organization in the same you know predicament that Baker places is in so this is this is extremely important for us to keep
18: uh, be abreast of. Thank you Supervisor. We will okay
6: so now if we can move to the second Piece of the hearing, which is secondary employment. I think, I think DPH should speak first um, before we get to HR, regarding the, the, the individual that was working for Baker Places on a city-funded contract 24 hours a day on call and then on call for this organization at the same time. It's an inherent conflict of interest. Um, It seems as though that you all approve this work at DPH, that you approve the secondary employment from the information that we've been given, but DHR did not approve that employment. And so I'd like to just hear first and foremost, what's your policy for secondary employment? What kind of internal controls do you have to ensure that there's not conflicts of interest like this? and give us some more details on the record on what has taken transpired since that time and how this has been resolved. And then we'll go to DHR. They're gonna give us the information on the number of people that they have identified that are on the record for doing secondary employment. And as I stated up front, this is not an assault on secondary employment, but we're looking for inherent conflicts of interest. That, I mean, if Supervisor Ronan and I work for a nonprofit in the city, That we funded that came through this budget committee I mean people would be calling for our resignations or Supervisor Chan or Supervisor Stephanie so I just excuse me okay maybe not you maybe it would be okay (laughs) I'm just kidding (laughs) but I mean I just that's the first thing I thought of it it, I couldn't imagine you know we'd have to put that on our form 700 and it would be like "What, what, what do you mean you're working for an organization that the city funds how is that even possible so I'm going to turn it over to you, I guess, Mr. Wagner, to give us some insight. But
18: um, I'd like to hear about what's going on over at DPH. Sure. Um, Thank you, Supervisor. Uh, So uh, several things. I know uh, DHR has some slides uh, that include data on uh, secondary employment and on the process. Um, DPH, uh, our secondary employment process is delegated by and coordinated along the lines of what you're going to hear from uh, DHR. So we administer uh, those rules within DPH. A couple of things, uh, to your point, uh, Supervisor Safai, that we are working on. I think um, uh, Baker and then uh, just generally in some of the issues that have been raised with secondary employment outside of that case, we are taking a hard look at our practices. Um, I think there are some problems uh, in terms of how things have been uh, administered and and there are some opportunities for uh, improvement. Our current process is uh, any employee who uh, wishes to take uh, secondary employment as defined in the civil service uh, rules and the DHR guidance is required to submit uh, the secondary employment uh, application. Uh, that goes through the employee supervisor and then through uh, dph hr Uh, it'll be either depending on the level of the employee approved by uh, one of the operations managers or uh, the hr director Uh, once that approval occurs that's submitted to uh, the city department of human resources uh, for approval Uh, criteria that we use uh, for uh, whether or not to approve our Uh, The conflict of interest issue, is there uh, something in the secondary employment that uh, uh, includes a conflict of interest? Uh, Is there an impact on the employee's work with the city? So Um, I
6: just want to stop you right there. I'm sorry, but both of those boxes would have been checked. The job description is 24 hours on call. The secondary employment was 24 hours on call. The organization is a nonprofit funded by the city. How did that, how did that get, okay, so how did that get through the the internal process? Because it was approved by DHR, DPH's HR, I'm sorry.
18: Yeah, um, and so Supervisor, I I will um, answer that question. I I want to avoid getting into talking about an individual personnel uh, situation, but I hear your question. Um, so there are a few things. So we are right now. Uh, we have asked and we're working with DHR on a review of our process. Uh, so I think there are some. Do you know how many people work secondary jobs at DPH? There are 100, 120 who are approved for a secondary employment. And DPH. do you know how many of those work for city funded nonprofits? There are about 18 who work for an organization that has some affiliation with the city. The bulk of those are UCSF. Um, So I think on that point, so that is, I think, something worth talking about. Um, There are multiple layers to this too in terms of how we need to think about it. Uh, So there is for sure the situation where you have secondary employment, where your uh, primary employment with the city puts you in a situation where you're managing or overseeing funding to the secondary employer, that's clearly uh, outside the lines, right? In a lot of our uh, cases of secondary employment, uh, what we have are clinical staff who take shifts or have some form of uh, clinical participation at another healthcare service provider. And so, exactly, and so in those cases, it seems like we can easily put, well, carefully put walls around that activity so that we keep it within the boundary of uh, ethics and conflict of interest. Um, and so that's what the the majority of the cases are. I do think that we need to, re- and we are going to review our historical practices and reasoning around these uh, situations, Come, make sure that we have the right uh, uh, rules and procedures in place within DPH and then there is another piece of this where I think just administratively we have a lot of work to do in terms of how do we close the feedback loop how are we monitoring the compliance how are we monitoring the approvals and when they expire so that we have a constant process of revisiting and reevaluating those uh, relationships over time And those are some areas uh, where I think there have been um, shortcomings in DPH's process. Uh, So one of the things that we've been talking about, DHR, uh, about is uh, putting, uh, kind of modernizing this approval system. Uh, Go ahead, Supervisor.
6: So one of the things, again, going back to our budget process, when we were reviewing your budget and we were concerned, just, just flagging something, and this kind of, I think, underscores some of the problems. It, it, came, it became very clear that your HR department is dramatically understaffed. And part of that shows itself when we talk about the amount of time it takes to hire a nurse, to hire a frontline staff, or to, to fill all the empty positions within your department. I was hoping today that you wouldn't, I mean, I'm glad that you came with, this is our process, we're going to review, we've highlighted, I got a call from your, you know, your executive director, like, I can't remember the name you use for your department, but the top, you know, Dr. Colfax, I would have liked to see him here today. Um, But I think what it really underscores is that you don't have enough HR staff. What's your HR staff department? What's the total number of staff that you have there?
18: Oh, off the top of my head, I could get you a number in the, you know, it'd take me 20 minutes to get you a number. Yeah, Um, that that
6: would be good to know because I think that if you're talking about internal processes and reviews and filling empty positions and the number of vacant positions you have and streamlining and ensuring your department is 100% functioning, If you don't have the appropriate HR staffing, then you're going to continue to have these kind of problems. And then the other thing is the thousands of jobs in the city, which I know there was a significant number within your department that were left unfilled because they haven't been able to go through the process and be filled. And that also feeds into Mental Health SF. It feeds into the service delivery that we're trying to do in the city. So I, I also would like to hear a little bit about that and a plan for that, because I think that's ultimately gonna have a, a bigger impact on this conversation. 121 is not a significant number for, at least that's the ones that are on the record, for a department that has how many employees?
18: 8,000.
6: 800? 8,000. 8,000, that's what, okay. That sounds more right <laughs> eight thousand so it's a it's a very small number, um, but uh, I think that it underscores some other problems within h r within within your department
18: <coughs> yeah uh, thank you supervisor uh, so a uh, couple of things on that, and we are happy to um <laughs> engage as, as much as you're interested in on our plans for um, improving HR within DPH. It is uh, of our uh, de- departmental kind of priorities for our department mission, it's in our top four uh, critical must-do, can't-fail priorities in the department's and the commission's strategic planning initiatives. Um, I you, you mentioned staffing. That has been a chronic issue within HR. And that translates into a chronic issue within the rest of the department uh, when we cannot hire. Right. Uh, This um, Board of Supervisors, we are extremely grateful. In the last budget cycle, you approved an expansion of our HR staffing of 21. Uh, That's in addition to, uh, I, I believe it was 16 that were approved in the prior year's budget. Part of that is simply going to be needed to catch up with the growth in the department and the major initiatives like Mental Health SF. But in addition to that, we have added um, within the department a new office uh, called the Office of Employee Experience. The role of that office is to look at process, including what we're talking about here today. And there are other issues like this, but how how do we manage compliance? How do we make sure that our we're tracking data correctly, our processes are working, and that our employees are not uh, bearing the uh, impact of, of where we uh, are insufficient in administering our programs. Okay. Uh, Supervisor
6: Stephanie, did you want to jump in on that point before we bring up HR?
19: Yes, thank you, Supervisor Safe. I just want to a quick question. How many of the uh, 120 DPH employees that have secondary employment come from jail health services? Do we know that?
18: Um, I can get you that data. Uh, I, I have it by class but not by uh, division, but I can easily get that, uh, that information.
19: Okay, that would be great because, you know, Supervisor Safai, you mentioned his concern about the fact that the secondary job in this one case that's been brought to light was a 24-hour on-call job, making it seemingly impossible to do both at the same time. My concern also is the state of um, jail health services and the condition and what the nurses are going through. I'm actually going to be calling a hearing on the state of jail health services because it's my understanding after further investigation on my part that the nurses there are worked to the bone, 12-hour shifts, mandated to stay, there's staffing shortages, and my feeling is that if you're the director of jail health services that seems to be failing so badly in terms of taking care of the workers that actually are trying to do a very difficult job, what are you doing with a secondary employment? And also, my understanding is that again, given the state of jail services and what the nurses are going through in the various different facilities, is that there's no contact with the director, there's no staff meetings, and it's just a state where it's not performing well for our city employees, nor those that are receiving services. And it's something that to me was quite shocking that an individual could actually get approved to have secondary employment when it seems so obvious that this, the jail health services is something that needs to be improved in and of itself. No time for helping another nonprofit um, or having another job. The focus needs to be clearly on health services so that, that's that been my concern like I said I am going to be uh, announcing a hearing request at our next board meeting to really dive into what's going on at jail health services because what I'm hearing is just we should not be treating our employees like that we should be doing better by um, those who work there the inmates and the director of jail health services needs to take responsibility for that
18: Thanks. thank you supervisor Stephanie we will be happy to um, to work with you on that request um, I wanted to uh, just uh, two two, uh, factual pieces. There are 209 HR FTE uh, at DPH. Um, And uh, I want to correct something that I had said earlier. I gave you the figure uh, 120. That was a fiscal year number. The number with current approvals is 142, uh, which is the active uh, approvals. Uh, including the end of uh, 2021 that are still valid. And we've had a number that have come in just over the last couple of weeks as we have put out our, our reminder.
6: Great. So we call up HR now.
22: Uh, (coughs) Good afternoon, Chair uh, Ronan, and members of the uh, Budget and Finance Committee, Mawuli Tabino, Deputy Director at the Department of Human Resources. Uh, The Charter gives, I'm I'm sorry, Civil Service Rule 118 uh, gives uh, employees the, um, uh, outlines the parameters under which employees can um, take on additional employment. We, through this process, also recognize there are opportunities for uh, improvement in our process, but I have uh, Sean Sherbin, our Assistant Director of um, Employment Services, to help explain the process as is today.
20: Good afternoon, Supervisors. Thank you, Mawuli, appreciate that. Uh, the additional employment program It's a program I've overseen with my team, working with our departmental representatives, HR teams, much like DPH. Uh, I've overseen that program for about 10 years now since I joined the Department of Human Resources in 2012. So I have a little bit of background that I can share on this and and a very quick overview uh, that will give us a good grounding. Um, This is something in our civil service rules. It runs through all four volumes of our civil service rules, including police, fire, and MTA. Um, In general, it gives employees the ability to have outside employment, assuming that employment does not um, uh, interfere with their job and that it's renewed annually by their department appointing officer or designee and the Uh, city's uh, HR director or designee. Um, In so doing, we've helped employees over the years by updating the additional employment request form, making sure that it has specifics about the additional employment, um, that we obtain the signature of the uh, employer outside of the city so they know that this is a city employee uh, as well. and then obviously the approval of the appointing officer and the department as well as HR director.
6: Sorry. Before you go to the, uh, okay, I just want to ask that particular question. So every year outside employment is reviewed. It's reviewed on an annual basis. And every year there has to be a signature from the Appointing officer and the employer Correct Okay so That means that in the case that was highlighted for us That means that this isn't something that was just done once this was something that was done consistently Since that person has had employment with the city and so every single time within your, is it just your department or is it the department, is it HR and, so first it has to even be brought to you for this to go happen. Right. But if it just stays in the HR within the department of whatever department, in this case, Department of Public Health, it never was brought to you to go through this protocol.
20: It's not fully approved until it has each one of those elements finally concluding with the Department of Human Resources review and approval. Mm Mm-hmm,
6: okay. Thank you. Oh, Supervisor Stephanie, did you go ahead, I'm sorry.
19: Just a quick question. What is the criteria to determine whether or not uh, secondary employment interferes with primary employment?
20: That's the next slide. Oh, if great, we can thank advance you, sorry to. about that. I love when that happens, thank you. <laughs> uh, so we are looking, uh, when we work with our departmental colleagues in HR, the appointing officers, the employees, The things that are outlined in the form that are also outlined in the civil service rules and a number of trainings and resources we've provided to departments to provide to their employees we look at the effective date when is this happening we're not doing things retroactively it has to be prospective employment because we need a chance to review it Um, obviously the department needs a chance to review it in advance too Um, We're looking at the value of compensation, because that in and of itself may not have an inherent conflict of interest, but it is something that we want to uh, look into, and that might be other things other than compensation. It could be emoluments. It could be gifts, anything like that. So we consider all forms of compensation. Uh, We're looking at the schedule of outside employment. Uh, We want to make sure that there is no interference with the employee's work schedule, this includes them not taking time off, be it paid or unpaid, to engage in the outside employment. Uh, we want to make sure that there's no interference with the performance of their regular city civil service job. Um, part of that is we want to know how many hours this person is working in their outside employment. Um, that gets into things that my team has seen over time and worked with departments that if it's an overnight shift and uh, at the outside employer and then you're coming in the next day, you may not be able to perform your city job. Um, We tend not to see those kind of extreme examples, but that is why we look at those factors. Uh, Of course, we're looking at conflict of interest as well. We want to make sure that any, uh, the additional employment is not inconsistent or incompatible or in conflict with the employee, the employee's duties or the department's responsibilities. Um, And then last, although it doesn't come up very often, We very much want to make sure that the outside employment is not in a hazardous occupation uh, that would uh, cause substantial injury to or risk to the employee or to the work that they're doing. And this gets to a little bit of the example I alluded to earlier. In part, if you have a safety sensitive job, we're going to look very closely at, at any outside employment you may be seeking because we want to make sure a muni operator is not a nurse, is going to be uh, alert and awake and rested enough to be able to do their job. Before you proceed, Supervisor Chan.
5: Thank you, Vice Chair Safai. I I think my question is, I'm not too sure who can answer this question. You know, uh, Supervisor Walton has, and which I co-sponsored the legislation, which is the requirement for, uh, for 700 form. Uh, for city employees, and we have expanded the list, and and I, obviously the ideas of making sure that our employees fill out the 700 forms is also a way for us to figure out conflict of interest, or or you know how are how are people being compensated outside of their jobs with the city, and that's one another way to really catch that, because we know that the secondary, I mean, as a former employee, a city worker that I know that also the secondary employment oftentimes is also a voluntary. Besides the fact that the city department itself and the HR has to provide like, to grant that approval, you're also fielding the 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 request meaning you you're not gonna be you, if you have eight thousand staff you're not gonna be one on one to trying to figure out if they actually have a secondary employment they're the one who's responsible for telling you so and therefore right the seven hundred form is also additional way of to figure this out which now is meet and confirm it has not moved forward we're trying to figure this out so I think the question is without trying to drill down very specific employee in in question you know of of that I guess generally speaking for the Department of Public Health, because I'm looking at the list, is it's rather brief for the for this, you know, seven hundred form filling requirements. Now that we have identified an issue that we need to correct, has there been a conversation between the Department of Public Health and HR just trying to figure out under this legislation, are there ways that we could add in tools with the form 700 filling requirement to be able to do a secondary catch or like a safeguard a additional safeguard for for this
20: yeah. let me speak generally yeah. about that and then I can turn it over to my colleagues um, so seven, form 700 largely for managers supervisors a majority of additional employment requests that we receive are from non-management staff mm-hmm. having jobs outside the city so they wouldn't be pulled in through the Form 700 process. However, many departments um, use that annual opportunity where they're reaching out to their employees for Form 700 to also remind them of their uh, obligations and the requirements under the civil service rules to report um, any outside or additional employment. More importantly, to get that approval before they engage in that employment. Um, and this is an annual reminder that we're seeing. I think you heard our colleagues at Public Health. You heard my colleague, uh, Mowgli, uh discuss that there are systems and processes and tools that we're looking to help get that message out a little bit more consistently. We do get it at the front end. It's part of our um, employee handbook. It's part of the city's uh, mm-hmm. online Uh, and uh, in-person orientations that we do with each employee that starts with the city where we proactively remind them that you must receive approval before engaging in any outside employment so yes there is more work to do but um, the form 700 is an area um, where many departments uh, are using uh, that unique opportunity to remind their employees of additional obligations not just managers but um, uh, line employees as well so, so I think,
5: oh, so go ahead, if if you want to also add to comments, and
20: well, I I think
22: uh, Sean hit the uh, uh, hit the points, but um, we have been uh, while we can't speak to any matters that are happening with the meeting confer over that legislation, of course, uh, we have, uh, as Mr. Wagner stated earlier, we are in conversations about how to improve the process. We have been limited by technology, um, but like many of our systems at DHR, we're looking for ways to modernize and automate some of our processes, and we're, we're exploring right now how to um, um, make this process a little bit more seamless, and of course, DBH is a partner in that.
5: So I, I, I think here's, I, I want to, in this forum, you know, but I also understand the sensitivity around me and confer, I also understand the sensitivity around, you know, specifically a personnel problem that the DPH is dealing with, but just looking at the legislation as proposed um, and that going through the me and confer process. I will, and that, you know, through this hearing that listening to the presentation that learning DPH is trying to work out a process or better protocols and the internal protocols and process to figure out how, how do we you know catch some of these issues and safeguard these issues, then then it's really my way of saying, can we? Since the legislation has continued at Rules Committee, will there be a possibility that DPH and HR to actually really now go back and, and look at this legislation and figure this and as an additional way to to help the DPH to safeguard? It? And seeing the list, it's rather limiting in in this the Form 700 filing requirement.
22: I would just say that yes, absolutely, we can uh, we can. Um go back and take a look at the legislation again, and of course in um, uh, concert with our, our labor partners who are also reviewing the legislation.
5: Thank you, I appreciate yeah. it. Thank you, Vice Chair.
6: Thank you. Um, so, did, were, you,
20: were you done? I am done. It was just the last slide that I think all of you were waiting to see anyways, which was the uh, accounting of uh, additional employment requests that we have on file for the current year. And happy to take any questions the supervisors may have.
6: I mean, the, the, the one that now that we hear is 142, I think this is we're very clear on what Department of Human Resources is doing. Um, I think that from the presentation, if that practice had been in place, I don't think we would be having as much of a concern. But this is really about understanding what Department of Public Health is doing to improve their processes to ensure that they're going to comply with what you all have laid out. I mean, the 142 employees that they know of that have secondary employment, it should be pretty easy to find out. And very quickly working with your team to review that secondary employment to see if there's inherent conflicts of interest so that's what I would like to hear from DPH what is there anyone here from HR from DPH or is it just you I'm not saying just you but you know what I mean
18: Mr. Wagner just little old me I do just supervise I do S- supervise HR though. okay it's
6: under your purview okay
18: uh, yeah we are absolutely uh, willing and already starting to uh, do that process of reviewing our secondary employment for conflicts, flagging any questions as they come up where there is uh, lack of clarity in the policy, and we'll work with DHR on that. We are also reviewing the linkage and overlap between the Form 700s and So the, you said um, you have
6: 142 secondary. You said 18 that are working for
18: nonprofits? 18 that are working for an organization that has some uh, some, city some relationship with the city. How so, many of those are not UCSF?
6: Um, and because uh, I understand I can, there's a strong relationship between your department and uh, another medical institution but via foundations and private funding. That, uh, that's a little bit different, seems to me like, if someone's jointly funding a position that's doing work, Maybe they're doing additional work outside of that on the times that they're not working. That's a little bit different. How many of those 142 or how many of those 18 that have some relationship with the city
18: are not? I would say uh, I I can give you the exact data. Um, The UCSF is the largest, but there are also several that are, for example, with Kaiser. They're doing P103 or Uh, nursing assistant work with Kaiser Uh, there are some that do uh, shifts at NEMS for example another clinic that we have an affiliation with through the Medi-Cal agreement that seems Um, to be if you're working two days with the city or three days with the city then two days you're not working with the
6: city you're working with NEMS or you're working with Kaiser I don't think that's that's the, the have you found any additional inherent conflicts that raise a red
18: flag for you We haven't found inherent conflicts that raise a red flag, but we are doing that review and we are committing to that uh, to go take another look. We're also committing to uh, do, as you mentioned, there is the unknown unknown. Uh, We're doing a major push to get the word out with our staff uh, about the secondary employment requirements. We are going to do uh, twice week for the next month uh, reminders about that and then we're going to put a system in place to track expiration um, and uh, do regular communication to our staff and make sure
6: that 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 process is now going through the department of human resources Absolutely. absolutely can you get us a list of the 18 outside or relationship affiliated doesn't have to be the employee but just the entities that you're Secondary employment staff are working for that you found that have some form of relationship with the city That would yes. be good to see who those 18 are. Okay. I don't have any additional questions um, I just wanted to say The reason we called this is because we're constantly under and being asked to watch the city's dollar being asked to provide the best services that we can deliver on behalf of people with mental health in our jail system, in our, in our city, and the best delivery system. I know all of us collectively have put a significant amount of energy along with you and your staff, and I know you and your staff care, um, but we, we, this, was, this was somewhat shocking to hear that and then to understand that it had been going on for years, particularly because the employee actually worked for this organization, then came on to work for the city. That should have been a very quick you know question based on if you're going to continue secondary employment are you working for an organization that's funded by the city sorry that's not approved based on you know that there has to be a severing of ties so that that's why I called it wanted to hear I'm, I'm happy to hear that it's only 18 that have some form of out of 8,000 at least that you know of I would imagine there's probably a significant amount of underreporting within your organization I have to believe there's a lot more than 142 people out of 8,000 that have secondary employment. Which again, I have no issue with as long as they're going through the proper procedures to ensure that we're not having any further conflicts of interest. So it would be good if you could provide us with that 18. And then potentially I would think it would be good for this body to be updated um, at some point maybe in the next three to six months and let us know what kind of internal review you have Received after you've done the twice a week and the highlighting and other information. If you can send us a correspondence or a letter to the to this committee, I think that would be helpful. Supervisor Stephanie,
19: thank you. I just have a point of clarification. Is it one hundred twenty or one hundred forty-two? Because the slide that was here said one hundred twenty, but the slide in front of me he, says he updated it verbally. Oh, we did. I missed that. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah I'm sorry. sorry
18: for the confusion, Supervisor Stephanie. The one hundred twenty uh, is a number that we uh, gathered. It's a couple of weeks ago, and it goes back through January 1, uh, 2022. If you had been approved in uh, December 2021, your approval is still valid, so that's the the difference. Supervisor Chan.
5: Thank you. And I I think I just wanted to echo what Supervisor Stephanie has already said, you know, um, and just I think there's obviously a loophole here, that uh, or, or a gap, you know, and, and because the standard from the HR presented was, we we want to understand how many hours uh, that you participate for your secondary employment. But like Supervisor Stephanie has mentioned about, in particularly this example of jail services, and and uh, uh, this particular employee is being on call for twenty four seven. So clearly something. <laughs> Is not right here, and and I think that we're not just targeting this specific employee or this incident, but it's truly across in general. I think even for the 10A program that we recently passed and supported to talk about allowing the sheriff's department, or our sheriff's deputy sheriffs to be able to participate in a retail program. We we had a discussion about making sure that they're not off their shift and that they can meet their mandates. So so I think that uh, like Vice Chair Safaiz has mentioned that this body has collectively put a lot of energy to make sure not just it's not targeting just DPH, but just really across in general about secondary employments. It's not impacting the City services that we're obligated to provide, and 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 I think that oftentimes we are being asked to to watch the public dollars to make sure we are delivering the city services, you know, so that they're not in jeopardy. Um, of both the city dollars but also city services. So I, I just really want to thank you for coming before us today and um, just want to emphasize again why, why it's so critical. Um, and so I appreciate also Supervisor Stephanie for calling the hearing for jail services because I, I, I agree that the conditions is, um, is dire and, and it, now it's very questionable along with what we have discovered and learned. So it's very disappointing. And I look forward to having some kind of timeline and commitment, perhaps through Vice Chair Safayi, that we can get some conclusion about timeline of like resolution and progress made for the internal protocol and improvements.
6: Thank, Thank you. you. Yeah, I think it would be good to have a, a letter to this, to this body and just giving us an update of what progress you've made. Maybe in the next three months, I think that would be helpful.
18: OK. Thank you, Supervisors.
6: Thank you all for getting the information so quickly. I know the timeline was condensed. Uh, we are facing the holidays. We have had a number of our meetings truncated and or canceled altogether. So we appreciate you moving as quickly as we could, given the fact that this was a timely issue. We thought it was important. And thank you to the Chair for scheduling as quickly as you could. I, I, am, I am good with that so um i have no further questions do we have to uh, open this up for public comment i think mr
1: clerk thank you mr vice chair uh members of the public who wish to speak on the side and right joining us in person should line up now however for those listening remotely please call 415-655-0001 enter the meeting id of 2486-967-3951 then press pound twice once connected, press star three to enter the speaker line. How for those already in the queue, please continue to wait until the system indicates you have been unmuted and it is your signal to begin your speaking. Seeing no commenters here in the chamber, Mr. Lamb, can you uh, unmute our first caller, please? Hello, caller, we do hear you.
23: Hello? Hello? Yes, we do hear you. Okay, so I have uh, participated in all the meetings, both at the board and with the commission, the health commission. And uh, you all should remember there was a time that these two bodies did not submit the required information to the budget analyst. And now you leave him out. And bringing marioli and uh, some others does no, no, no good. The city is corrupt. And I'll tell you why it's corrupt you do not think when y'all outsource these services more when it comes to the wellness behavior. The, the last one of the critical meetings that was held at the board, Mr. Wagner was not present. And the chair of the budget was laughing and oh, you know, uh, uh, just taking it like a joke. It's our taxpayers' money So all i got to say is that your supervisors should be audited. I know of your supervisors crooks doing things uh, in a very illegal manner. And the city administrator, she's left out. And I'll just stop there because uh, this has to be taken for uh, a different type of investigation that I can uh, initiate. But this is, this is something which shows that the Board of Supervisors, the Budget co- and Finance Committee is not capable of doing a needs assessment, no understanding what is happening with the Health Department.
1: Speaker's time has expired. Really? So sorry to cut you off, uh, Mr. DaCosta, but we are timing each speaker at two minutes. Uh, Mr. Lamb, do you have any further speakers?
24: Hello?
1: Uh, yes, we can hear you. Please begin.
24: Uh, yes, hi. Um, this is Bree, Chung, district 5.
1: Um,
24: the residents of Grove and Hayes Streets between Cole and Schrader have spent decades dealing with problematic issues related to Baker Place PRC's Grove House. Our complaints were buried by Baker Place's management. We appreciate the attention you're giving to this extremely problematic organization. And while we know that it's a surprise to hear from us, we've spent the last year requesting information and accountability Baker Place's PRC and its supervising city agencies. The response from all parties, except for Baker Place's attorneys, has been silenced. Our only knowledge that there has been any activity related to the Grove House neighbors' complaints and requests for information is through Sunshine Ordinance requests. As neighbors of Baker Place's PRC's Grove House, we've wit- witnessed the dysfunction of Baker Place's at every level. Simple requests are ignored. Serious complaints are dismissed. Bigger places, PRC staff, executives and attorneys um, have made it clear that they intend to carry on with business as usual, and they are apparently entitled to do so based on the green lights they have received from the city of San Francisco. Grove House is a three bedroom emergency short term halfway house for individuals experiencing dual diagnosis, acute mental health and addiction issues. Grove House's use permit is only for 30 days maximum. However, Baker Places advertises it, it as being both 60 days and 90 days. Grove House has been closed for 19 months. It should not be reopened, which it may be any day. Baker Places never should have been awarded $4 million in 2020 to purchase the house. Information provided in the small sites program purchase recommendation was inaccurate. The property was purchased at over $1 million above market rate every step of the purchase and renovation process has been filled with major errors that baker places is unapologetic over how an organization like Baker places can continue to operate in this manner for 40 years is shocking grove Speaker's house time has should be expired. sold to recoup baker place
1: again so sorry to cut anybody off but we are timing each speaker at two minutes and madam chair that completes your telephonic
0: Wonderful. public comment is now closed Supervisor Sapay.
1: Thank you. So I appreciate,
6: as I said, the two different departments coming forward with this information. If you can just send us a letter with updated information. If you can also quickly get us a list of those 18 non uh, city affiliated entities that some of the staff have as secondary employment, that would be easy for us to review quickly. I want to thank HR for getting uh, us this information. It was very straightforward and clear seems to me to be a very uh, easy process to follow. So thank you. And I would just again underscore for Mr. Wagner as part of that letter if you can also get us uh, early in advance a review of your HR staffing for your department and let us understand. I, I understand that we've given you some additional staffing the last two years. But I think it would be good to have a pretty concrete analysis of what the appropriate level of HR staffing is for your department. Thank you. Thank you, Madam Chair.
0: Would you like to make a motion? Yes,
6: so we'll make a motion to send item number 13 to the board with positive recommendation. And thank you for making those adjustments, Department of Public Health think that was really um, helpful we appreciate that and then for item number 14 um, I, we can file that uh, thank you I think you oh sorry thank you I think that's right so send item number th- 13 to the full board as amended with positive recommendation thank you supervisor Chan. We amended that number, Mr. Clerk. It was read into the record. Uh, the math was done by the city attorney. Ah, uh, yes. And, and okay. public
1: health confirmed that number. That's correct, Mr. Vice Chair. On that motion to amend uh, item 13 um, as read into the record by, um, by the city attorney. Um, Vice Chair Safai. Aye. Safai, aye. Member Chan. Aye. Chan, aye. Chair Ronan. Ron and I, we have three eyes, and on the. Mr. Clerk, just
6: for, I'm sorry to interrupt. Did you have something to say?
1: I'm
18: so sorry. I think that was item number 12 with the amendment, the HMA, uh, not to exceed. Oh. Sorry. Oh right,
6: I apologize. Did okay. we do item number 12?
1: Uh, yes, we did. Uh, we Mr. Vice did Chair. that.
6: Okay, I'm sorry. Okay. So for, so for item number 13, that was the one that we that the information was given to us. That was um, they switched out Joe Healy with the new provider. So now that we have that information, we don't need to make any amendments. I apologize. Uh, so uh, Yes. A, uh, if we can rescind day. that last. Uh, so we can. Let's motion. Re, uh, motion to rescind that last vote, <laughs> since we already did it.
1: <laughs> on the motion to rescind, uh, Vice Chair Safai. Aye. Safai, I, Member Chan j and i chair ronan Aye. ronan i we have three eyes
6: that right. motion's rescinded okay so that so now we send item number 13 to the full board with positive recommendation um and file item number 14.
1: on that motion to forward uh item thir- the resolution in, uh as item number 13 to the full board with a positive recommendation and to file the hearing as uh, item number 14. vice chair Safai. Aye. Sophie, aye. Member Chan? Chan, aye. Chair Ronan? Aye. Ronan, aye. We have three ayes.
0: Those motions passed unanimously. Mr. Clerk, is there any other items on the agenda?
1: Uh, Madam Chair, that concludes your business.
0: The meeting is adjourned.